I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Ethan Warren. And we love to watch. Live to watch the future of the Instagram Pixar face filter. guys i was i was thinking about commenting on that because i'm generally positive on this movie my one big note i gotta say is you need to do the big stupid eyes <laughs> like it's fine like i don't care it's not like it's not like going back and watching when we did tron legacy and i'm like oh that does not look at all like jeff bridges it looks like plastic um but it is not like whatever they spent on it they didn't need to uh, at all. We'll get into it. It's our last week of our failure to lo- launch month on We Love to Watch, a movie podcast where we pick a theme and do movies over the course of the month around that theme. We're covering uh, sci-fi franchises specifically because we're saving room later on to do stuff like uh, uh, fantasy franchises that didn't go anywhere, uh, the dark horror franchises that didn't go anywhere, uh, 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 YA movies which there's some crossover that didn't go any we have a whole failure bucket that we could be going to to try to find some gems or at least to discuss movies that are rarely featured on podcasts as far as we're aware um but we're ending on from my perspective a high note but one that fits another theme peter that you told me i think get out when i texted it to you yesterday so ethan one of the funny things is that and this is kind of also our our side pitch for why these movies maybe weren't as financially successful is they all have names that are very forgettable or very easy to get something wrong we messed up valerian in the city of a thousand planets or planet of a thousand whatever it is a million times um i think we called it jupiter rising on a few different occasions as opposed to jupiter ascending and for it uh and then for for an entire year, up until two weeks before we recorded it, I thought that Peter wanted us to do the Mortal Instruments, City of Bone, not Mortal Engines. And a running joke has been, but at least we got Battle Angel Alita right. <laughs> and it was honestly – and when I went to watch it two days ago, I'm like, Peter, you, like, you're going to think I'm joking. But it, we, got, we got this one wrong as well. It's not called Battle Angel Alita. It's called Alita colon Battle Angel. Well, you got, uh, you got the title of the manga right, which makes it all the I more did. confusing. Yeah. Th- that's what and, I said. And in my defense – so <clears throat> a little bit of backstory here um, – they started promoting that this movie was definitely coming out around 2000. And oh yeah, I, as someone who was uh, on the internet watched, I don't know, I don't think it was interactive. I think it was just like a flash video that was like promoting that they were making a Battle Angel Alita adaptation by James Cameron on I on must have been either um, Albino Black Sheep or Newgrounds. Yeah, there was websites that I like when I was in high school. And 17 years old, like, text websites that I would go to to find, like, 
upcoming science fiction movies or up or what directors were attached to it in the early IMDb days. And Battle Angel, I think it was sometimes it was just Battle Angel too. In um, Battle Angel and Avatar were on James Cameron's page forever. Yes. And then Avatar eventually came out. And I kind of like was like, well, he's eventually he's going to make that Battle Angel movie. I knew nothing about it. I didn't, I didn't read the manga. I still, I guess, haven't. I know there's an animated movie that came out in 1982 as well called Battle mm-hmm. Angel that I, I haven't seen. But yeah, kind of crazy that this movie came out and then with not without James Cameron directing, just producing and, and writing. And uh, Robert Rodriguez, another like early film uh, director obsession of mine with Quentin Tarantino in the 90s and stuff like that. It's also our first – we have never done a James Cameron movie um, and we've never done a Robert Rodriguez movie that I'm – like I'm, I'm scratching my head. But I, I think that's true. I don't think we've ever done anything by either of these two directors. So No. Though I I'd be, I would be totally happy to go back and do the Desperado trilogy. Yeah. Trilogy, right? Well, I it guess, is, yeah. I, I mean, and then I, Mariachi, Mariachi is like a pseudo uh, spinoff addendum. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I still, I still am a pretty big defender of From Dusk Till Dawn, a movie I uh, loved when I was in high school, and and still continue to enjoy to this day. And he has some other good movies, although his career. I mean, we don't have time for a full deep dive in Robert Rodriguez today, but um, but he has a very interesting, odd, odd career. But uh, but a person we do have time to have a deep dive into his career and life. Uh, uh, and personal achievements and goals he's still looking to accomplish uh, is one of our favorite guests on the show uh, and our one of our favorite good boys, Ethan Warren. Ethan, welcome back uh, after almost a year to the podcast. Yes, it's, it's I haven't been on this show since the night that the war broke out between Russia and Ukraine in the middle of recording an episode. <laughs> and that episode, folks is real is was real life because i gotta tell you war is part of reality and that's just something that i think the universe aligned to note that's a that's something we live with every day yeah and it's really hard to tell because we don't know what ritual we performed in order to make that happen um yeah. we may do it again tonight and there may be another yeah massive oh, no we um, did i don't know if you guys um, remember this we didn't record this but six months ago we did try to say the whole podcast backwards that we recorded mm-hmm. like we printed out scripts we did backwards try to undo the war in ukraine just in case we were partially responsible for it uh it didn't work and there i think possibly that's when uh donald trump announced his bid for 2024 so we're just never going to talk about the film real life again <laughs> for for the best for the best for the best great episode. um yes <laughs> but it's a pleasure to have you back and we've talked about this on the past few episodes but um uh, it's nice to be able to see faces. Um, as yeah. we promised in previous episodes, um, it doesn't mean we'll interrupt you less. Um, no. But it is nice to see your face, at least. So. Yeah. It's nice to uh, be we'll seen. Yeah. We'll and do so, it on yeah, purpose. Aaron asked you your, for your five-year plan. So yeah, what's you your five-year plan? <laughs> what have you been up to? Well, actually, though, Ethan, you have a ton of exciting stuff going on. So yes, t- tell us what you've been up to. Well, geez. Um, I mean... I have a book coming out in a couple of months, uh, April 25th of this year. Uh, my book, The Cinema of Paul Thomas Anderson, American Apocrypha, will be coming out uh, from Columbia University Press. And you can pre-order it now wherever you get your books. Uh, I'm so excited. I am excited. I, I don't know if I'm excited for it to come out. I am really living this wonderful zone right now where like, it's just impressive that I have written a book that is going to come out. 
and <laughs> nobody hates it currently that I know of. <laughs> um, various people have read it. I, I'm pretty sure that they have all liked it, and that is almost certainly going to change when the general public gets their hands on it. So I think I'm just going to really enjoy these next couple of months. And I am now working on my second book and remembering why I had such a bad time writing the first book. It's, <laughs> it is so nice to have written a book and it is so hard to write a book. <laughs> and I'm just, I like to think that the, the thing you're chasing right now, that beautiful, the beautiful moment when you're sort of like in the, the, the nascent period, um, which for the note, asterisk, side note, whatever, it's going to be great because you're a great writer. Um, but um, I think that's what Stephen King traded cocaine for. Was he was just yeah. like, if I constantly have a book that's coming out, then I just yeah, you don't you don't have to think about the reviews on the last one. Yeah, the space between books. Yeah. I mean, he he has like multiple books a year at this point, and they're so yeah. long. And then you read them, and you're like, yeah, it makes sense that you have several of these a year. He's <laughs> <laughs> like the he really became R.L. Stein. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do well, like can to you think can he's you talk back a little bit? But all right, let's let's focus. All on right, everything. all right. I uh, yeah, he has, Ethan hasn't had a chance to go away, so we'll, we'll yet to come to come back from. Yeah. I think that well, that's there's um, a reason that I'm writing my second book before the first one has come out, which is this is what you have to do is you have to lock down the second one before they find out whether the first one sells well. Yeah, I mean that's publishing one on one. One on one, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Technically, and you know what? Publishing two hundred one, you got to lock yeah. down the third book right now. Yeah. I, you know what? I've done it. <laughs> I've, I've already, I've already pitched it to them, and they're like, "Yeah, all right, sounds good." That's awesome. Can, can, can you talk about? <laughs> I was just talking with you a little bit, but <laughs> just get all your books out in one pitch. Um, you, what? Can you talk about what your second book is? Gonna, are you too early in the process? Oh no, it's 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 out there. Um, it's on Bob Dylan as a cinematic figure. Oh, awesome! So going are you gonna come visit. Uh, Minnesota? Oh my goodness! I no, I, I for a second no. I thought maybe, okay, great. but no. The the Bob Dylan archives and museum are in Oklahoma, not Minnesota. Yeah, but he but he's from here. No, he's I know, Kennedy. I I know. Yeah. I wish there was any viable. Well, I guess I could come out there and visit the movie theaters that he went to when he was a kid. Could there? It's great. Yeah. yeah, and you can just pick up a piece of yeah. piece of dirt, a nice clump of Minnesota soil, and eat it like Bob Dylan would have. Classic yeah, Bob. <laughs> Minnesota really was like, we're going to put all our chips into prints and just completely forget about Bob Dylan. And part of that, and if you do enough research, Ethan, you'll find out, it's because he didn't care for Minnesota all that much. I get that There's vibe. There's a lot of quotes about, about hating growing up in – I mean, having Minnesota is like by Duluth. It's a tiny town. Um, I've been there once because I uh, I met a girl I was dating's parents lived there and we drove to Hibbing and I don't bl I don't blame him for hating Hibbing I'm on record <laughs> as also disliking Hibbing for a lot of reasons um, so he me also and Bob did it roughly one thousand years ago yeah that's an area that Bob Dylan and I are simpatico and, and many other things like our guitar playing ability and singing but um, you know definitely. that that could either say good things about you or bad things about him maybe both would be accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't sing or play guitar, um, but Bob Dylan can. That was a mm, some some would you're debate. listening. Come back to Minnesota. Um, yeah, so so yeah, we you 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 we gave you. Did we give you more than one choice for movies? Or did we? Give you, <laughs> you gave me all four. You you offered me everything this month, and this is the one that so I why, chose. Why'd you? Yeah, why'd you pick this one? 
Um, actually, you may not have given me Valerian as an option because this we'd already recorded it. Okay, yeah, because those those are the two I hadn't seen. I've seen Mortal Engines, didn't like it that much. Seen Jupiter Ascending, didn't like it that much. Okay, <laughs> and I was curious. So we kind of boxed you in. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I would have been curious to revisit either of those, but this is the one that um I hadn't seen, and it has such a passionate cult following um at least on twitter and i was very curious to see what that was all about and um should we get into how i felt about it yet yeah let's get into because so as i mentioned to you in the green room ethan this was uh i was excited to do this as a bookend because we were disappointed by mortal engines uh even jupiter ascending which i had seen before was this we were disappointed by both of us really liked valerian I had seen it a few times before and have really kind of fallen in love with that movie, flaws and all. And I remember being very positive on this movie as well. And I came away with the same impression. I think it has problems. I think it feels like it is. There's some script short changes. The boyfriend is the goddamn worst. I'm very happy that he dies uh, limbless, falling off a very large height and theoretically would be removed from a sequel that hasn't happened yet or may never happen, which we'll talk about. Yeah, you can't have two resurrections in a series, right? No. That doesn't... No, I mean, he fell, he fell a very long way. Um, <laughs> he's, he's not coming back. But that overall, like, I do think that this, this reflects more, I think, James Cameron-level budgets and a Robert Rodriguez movie. And a, Robert, a lot of Robert Rodriguez movies, from my perspective, are mixed bags. I think he has movies that I like quite a bit, but they feel usually comfortable in that four-star territory with some notable exceptions. So that was my experience coming back to this. But Peter and Ethan, it was your first time watching this. What did you think now a few years removed from both the hype, the backlash, and then people following it as a – as finding it as a cult movie? Yeah. 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 Um, so the – this was the one movie this month that I feel like is a – like – Tacks a lot of the, ticks a lot of the boxes for a successful blockbuster action movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like a heroine that I care about. Like the love story doesn't work, but it's oddly the best one we've watched this month. Low bar to clear. Um, <laughs> because I, I think that's true from a love story perspective. Even if I hated him more than yeah. some of the other people. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 Um, that, uh, the action sequences are easy to follow and, like, at times very exciting. Like, I feel like as a blockbuster movie... Oh, it's it's under two hours, right? Um, two hours on out. the nugget, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Um, I... It takes a lot of the, those boxes, uh, while having, like, a good sense of energy about itself. Mm-hmm. Um, though... The thing, I I love this as a culmination of the month because one of the problems with the previous movies is that they would have like a great concept but have no fucking clue how to make it compelling to a viewer for a couple of the movies. And then for Valerian, they'd be like, "Um, everything that you're looking at in every action sequence is going to be a gorgeous, just like almost like a splash of color in your face at any time. So we're going to keep changing textures and just like keep your eyes awake. Uh, In this one, I don't think it has that quality where like the, the, I can't look away from the screen. I I, like, I could very easily look away from the screen. I had to go put my phone in the kitchen. Um, But, but uh, it is like a movie that's competent enough that I'm like, yeah, I'd love to see a sequel to this. It's the only movie the entire month so far that I'd be like, yeah, if you could like, beat out some of the details, maybe steal some avatar technology from James Cameron for the face thing. Maybe just let Rosa Salazar be a face. She already has a very like ghostly, like ethereal, like beauty to her. Like we, 
we didn't we needn't the, use the Pixar Instagram filter. Um, but I would love to see a sequel. So in some ways, it's kind of unique to the other movies in that it's the most confident of all of them. Um, and I'd like to see more of it. But also, it didn't really have my heart the way Valerian did, where I was yeah. just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? Yeah, Valerian yeah, never stopped. You're right, because Valerian never stops moving. And this movie does pause quite quite a lot to make you care about the emotional beats, which is which is more typical filmmaking. Yeah. <laughs> like you want, you want to pause to care about what's going on in the characters, but yeah, it does make it more traditional in a high budget blockbuster. Movie. Which is also just while we're there, just a yeah. nugget. The weird thing is that like Luke Besson's vision in Valerian is the humanity that's dragging me through. Yeah. In this, actually the main character of Alita dragged me through like the yeah. way that movies oh, yeah. should probably work. Uh, Ethan, where, where'd you land on all that? Or on your 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 take on this. I think this movie's the bee's knees. I thought this was just great. Um Very fun, right? It's, yeah. it's super fun. I watched it and then I didn't understand a damn thing that happened in it. So I actually watched it again, twice in two days. And I still didn't really understand what was going on. So I watched the anime and I read the first okay. three volumes of the manga. And I feel like I sort of now know what's happening in this movie. <laughs> That is that is such an amazing that's such an Ethan, Ethan Warren yeah, yeah that's revelation yeah. that you went deeper and deeper than was you in very to. short amount of time two days we also we yeah. we were like we were like Ethan buddy like <laughs> we know you're busy you got a lot going on you're trying to get one book out and get another book written you got a family you got it yeah. you, you got to maintain a sleep schedule let's 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 get a recording on the schedule no pressure weeks let's do something days. and then you're like. What if I just spent like twelve hours on on prep and so, just got so deep into the Alita verse? How many? How many? Uh, how many? Uh, I think you mean the Battle Angel verse. Um, how many? Uh, uh, how many volumes of the manga are there? Did well, you, like there's nine in the primary series, and then there's two like sub series after that. Okay. So I read. You, so I read the first three of the primary series. So one third of one third of it. So we're going to obviously get into the movie. So what was your take before we actually get into the, the 2019 movie? Are are you going to continue with the manga? Is that something that you felt like was a worthwhile your time? And then how was – I mean I was curious to finally get to the the anime as I've been trying to catch up on like 90s anime that I missed as I had a – took me a while to get come around to comic books and manga and anime in general. But Peter pushed me through uh, and so now I've, I've been more interested in revisiting. How, how, is, how are those things that like clearly influenced this? So the one thing, you can get all of the, the manga through, I don't know if it's manga, it just that's how it sounds right to my ears, so that's why I'm going to keep yeah. saying it. Um, you can get it all on uh, Amazon Kindle through the Comixology Unlimited oh, yeah, uh, bundle. So it's very easy. The problem is... <laughs> Um, I forgot that you read uh, Japanese, at least yep. manga, uh, from the back to the front. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I opened this book and I was like, wow, this really starts in Medias Race. Like she's in the <laughs> middle of this really intense battle. I guess this is backstory that we don't get in the movie. And I'm reading and reading and I'm like, this is hopelessly confusing, but I guess I just got to <laughs> hang. It's another culture. And then I realized, yeah. oh, my God. What if I go back to the last page and the last page is the very beginning of the movie? And I was like, ah, I'm on to something here. <laughs> but so I started reading backwards, but I still was super confused. And then I realized you have to read the panels yeah. right yeah. to left. 
So I had to, I had to completely rewire my brain. Um, the really main takeaway from all of the, the research is that this movie is a crazy mashup of everything that happens in the first three volumes of the manga, plus some elements of the anime that are different than the manga. Okay. So you are getting all three volumes at once rather than like compressing all three into one time frame. They have, they have chopped and screwed all three stories into one narrative <laughs> and then dragged some of the elements from the anime that aren't like I said, part of the manga, like in the anime, which they only did two episodes of the anime. So there's only one hour of that out there and you can watch it all on YouTube Oh, I thought it was a movie. Well, it's 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 an adaptation of the first two uh, volumes, a much Got like it. sort of okay. more more straightforward adaptation. So Got it. Okay. The, the first volume of the book is her becoming a hunter warrior and the fight with Gruishka. The second volume is all about her and Hugo and that entire story. And then in the third volume, we finally get into Motorball. But in the anime, in the anime, they compress the two volumes, much like the movie does, and they add this character played by Jennifer Connelly in the movie, who is not part of the manga at all. Oh. And so then Robert Rodriguez gets his hands on all of this and is like, I got to turn this into a satisfying story. And there's more nips and tucks and everything. So it's just, it really contextualizes why this movie is so overstimulating and at times incoherent. <laughs> But I think it's all neat, and I'm probably not going to keep reading it because I have a lot of other draws on my time. Um, <laughs> but I was really – it was a lot of fun to immerse myself in all of this. No regrets. Yeah, that's – that's like <clears> – Well, <throat> uh, I was just going to say that's, that's not surprising because I think you're right. This, part of the reason I love this movie is that it is overwhelming, right? It is introducing you to things that it's not spending all that much time on, but they're all things that are generally compelling, right? You have the hunter, hunter warriors. You have uh, – you have motorball. You have this uh, weird trade that's occurring with uh, – uh, shoot, what's his name? The guy – Edward Norton's character. Uh, Nova. 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 I wanted to say Nebula. I knew it was uh, – yeah. Uh, I've watched this movie twice in two days and I still cannot goddamn remember the names. Well, what – hey, <laughs> we'll, we'll, have a, we'll have a whole segment at the end that's what's your favorite Nova line. But um, – <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, but yeah, like there's that whole thing that's going on with Nova and the the mystery with Mahershala Ali's character, and like there's just so many things going on. They're going back and learning what battle angels are. Her flashbacks as they so like there's just it 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 does ha it, it pauses for character moments, but it does have all these concepts that look amazing, are well designed, giving this fun version of the future that it really does feel like it. This one. In the somewhat the same way as Valerian, because Valerian was based on a comic book series, a French comic book series from the 60s and 70s as well, that it does give you that sense of, man, they're clearly pulling they're, – they're clearly pulling a bunch of different threads from these stories and giving you a taste. And that can backfire if, if you know, if you ultimately are like, oh, I didn't understand what was going on and I didn't find it compelling that, you know, they're kind of skimming the surface that tends to not work in these adaptations where they try to pull things. And I think both this and Valerian work in the fact that they're giving you enough to at least be 
be compelled by what's happening on screen to be interested while also giving you like a little taste of going i bet there's more here that i would find interesting if i wanted to wanted to dig in which i think is a little different from others like i think the other mistake that a lot of franchises today make is because they have such from their perspective limited source material they try to stretch out what they have to make longer movies or more tv shows or extra movies that's what we saw start happening with all those dystopian ya movies right instead of just adapting the third book in the hunger game series they're like let's do two movies harry potter let's do two movies like they're trying to stretch out from a financial reason and so like when you watch something like, like valerian or battle angel it stands out at being so dense they didn't try to take to you know even though they clearly wanted both of those to be a franchise they had so much story to pull from through you know nine volumes of a manga or 30 ish 30 you know years of this valerian series that they're like let's get a bunch of interesting stuff in at once and then we if we do get a sequel we know that we have a bunch more things to pull in and i i do think that's why these feel unique in the current um the current like franchise, like let's let's ring every thread out of every minor character. Let's turn um, the Hobbit right. into three movies for no goddamn reason. Yeah, yeah. like it, yeah. it's it's antithetical to the way that that like current blockbuster filmmaking with a with a well known s- source material is being made right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I found like. <laughs> A key component of this month has been, um, even for Valerian, a movie I enjoyed, uh, the promise of a sequel and me going, I I hope not. (laughs) I certainly hope not. We've signed up to watch the first movie on the show, which means I'm probably going to have to watch the sequel at some point. Um, This is one where, like I said, like at the end of the movie, I was like, give me more, give me more. And if we never got more, it's nice to know that the manga exists. But it does take, there is a large risk with these big franchise starters these days where it's like if you just set up an origin story that's not all that satisfying because you're like saving you know more later then you're you're running the risk that people are going to not really connect with the work to begin with and not want more yeah um however if you also you overstuff it people the fans might complain and be like why did you take seven books and yeah, combine a, them into a one two, movie. A two-year arc and make it a yeah. throwaway line or yeah. something. So one of my favorite movies of all time is is Akira. Um, and it is a movie that I, I adore. I've seen it dozens of times now. Uh, it is a pretty sloppy, weird adaptation of the, of the graphic novels or the manga. And uh, I just recently read the manga and I was like, it's amazing. I love it. All of that. However... <clears throat> They knew going into it, they were like, we're probably not going to get a chance to make a sequel. So let's take like sort of the entire arc and and then chop out massive sections and then smush the end closer. Yeah. But also remove an entire epilogue and just kind of see if we can fit this all into one movie. And I think as a movie, it works great. As an adaptation, it kind of feels like a hatchet job. Like as a movie, I adore it. Um. And that's also like a cost, right? Is it's like if you're not particularly interested in making a franchise starter, you can just kind of pick and choose what you want and 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 cobble together something something really special. But um, ultimately, it all comes down to like, do you have a story to tell here? And like, I love the I love the way that this movie is sort of contained, but it leaves you hungry for more. Yeah. And I think the runtime is part of it. Apparently, James Cameron's script 
was that he'd been working on for 15 years, let's say. Um, the no. script that he had for a long time, or it culminated to that point after 15 years, was like 163 pages. He's like, so, yeah, James Cameron's like the bizarro universe L. Ron Hubbard, where like instead of first draft, last draft, get it out the door, he's like, just just more drafts for yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it'll ever get out the door. <laughs> I mean, like the, the sort of corny rule of thumb, right, is a minute per uh, page of, of a script, right? Um, for James Cameron, it's probably not that. It's probably what ended up being a four-hour movie. Um, so uh, he handed this to Robert Rodriguez, and he purposefully said, after a decade and a half of yeah. almost two decades of trying to freaking uh, adapt this, he handed it off to Robert Rodriguez, and he was like, make a movie out of this. Cut where is needed. Make a thing. And because of that, it actually got fucking made, because James yeah. Cameron spent his entire 2010s and now his entire 2020s um, working on the Avatar series, which I love. Um, loved Way of Water. Uh, but he, he didn't have space for Alita, and he had the, but he had the wisdom to say, I have packed this up. I can use my, my, my gravitas, my, my blank check to get this movie made. I, I don't know if he has enough to like get a sequel made, um, considering the sort of okay-ish performance of this movie. Um, but he was like, he had the wisdom to say, I'm really not going to have time for this. Here you go, Robert Rodriguez. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that because I had a good time watching it. It is so funny because like those two teaming up to make this movie just feel, they do feel like almost inverses of like the way, uh, studio filmmaking is made, right? James Cameron spent, is an overthinker, is a perfectionist, spent so much of his time getting the right budgets. In some cases, waiting for the technology to exist. Like, that was the whole thing with Avatar, right? Like, he was busy building cameras uh, that could accommodate the 3D that he envisioned for the movie. And then you have Rod Rodriguez, who, like, you know, built a whole film school around how do I cut corners? What can we use? Whatever we have. How much can I shoot like, in my barn? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like what the, the, you know, where he is a, you know, he is a let's use what we have, cut corners where we need to and just get the art out there. And that's, you know, that ha that's led him to have a very interesting filmmaking career. And so those two teaming up for a movie is sort of like this beautiful symmetry in a way of like you have a person with this like unlimited budget, unlimited vision that ultimately like because of that couldn't ha couldn't work on two movies at the same time and, and focused on Avatar where this one fell away and then giving it to the guy who's probably most equipped to say, I know where I need to cut and I'm not going to let, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the, like the work saying that we've all heard, like I'm not going to get uh, perfection, get in the way of progress. Like that is that is Robert Rodriguez's entire ethos. You're right. Robert Rodriguez is a, a get it done kind of guy. Um, yeah. The text here, the scripts here, I don't particularly care. Like, let's push forward. And it's created some really awesome rad movies. Um, it's also created like some really unwatchable, very ugly movies. But <laughs> um, yeah, Ethan, I don't know. Like, what do you have any? Do you have any particular thoughts there? Particularly on the Robert Rodriguez-James Cameron dynamic. Well, Robert Rodriguez is somebody who I don't have super strong feelings about except his other adaptation of a comic book series, Sin City, which is a movie that is absolutely beloved to me because I was 18 years old when it came out, which is exactly the age you are supposed to be yeah. when Sin City comes out. Um, I, I just... 
tend to find his corner cutting uh, antithetical to what I am curious about in a movie. I, you know, have missed more of his movies than I have seen. Um, I haven't seen some of the sort of classic ones. Um, it is weird to me that James Cameron couldn't get a sequel to this made if he wanted to, because wh- who who would say no to James Cameron at this point? Um, well, they, I mean, they, they seem to be committed to still doing it. We, we, this is actually the first movie that we've covered. Most of the other movies didn't get a sequel because they didn't quite perform the expectations of the box office. Some Valerian made money if you look at an international level, but not, not necessarily enough to easily justify a sequel based on how much money they had to raise, especially from international sources to get it made. This movie, I think, on every level at least performed well enough financially to get a sequel. It had a budget of $150 million, somewhere between $150 and $200 million, But from everything I read, they were really trying to keep it closer to $150 to $200 million, And it made over $400 million at the worldwide box office. Like even Not bad. Not bad at all. The, but the reason why this fell apart, this was actually the last studio film released by 20th Century Fox before the Disney merger. And they have said that that essentially like, you know, Disney took a look at all the slate, like the the, the people that were approving this or would have looked to it, you know, weren't, didn't exist anymore. And Disney wasn't really, you know, interested at going and what sequels to Fox properties do we need to make? But – and I sent you guys this this note from Wikipedia – you know, obviously, James Cameron is still working with Disney and just, you know, made a movie that is uh, made over $2 billion and, and counting at the box office. And he has a lot of pull to get whatever he makes made. And and him and Robert Rodriguez in just two months ago did a – I don't know what a virtual blood pack I'm so is. curious what that means. <laughs> like, did they just say it? Oh, like, did they get on a Zoom like we are now and say, we're going to do this? It's a virtual blood pack. Brother, or did or did they cut their hands on Zoom and showed it to the guy? Lot to dig in there. Or it's but just it was still- it was virtually a blood pact. It was you know like a spit pact. You know it was it had the same <laughs> vibe, but it was not quite yeah. there. They yeah. bled zeros and ones, and they wrote it yeah. there. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, they seem still very committed. Of all the movies yeah. that we've covered, I would expect this one to get a sequel more than any other one at some point in the next couple years. Yeah. So this is this is obviously the one that that, that I, w- I also wanted to end the month with because with the hope that it has a sequel. However, um, the news stories have the specific cadence of a thing that'll never happen, and I've got a few kind of like inklings and why we may never get a sequel. Well, well, actually, let's start on a positive point. Rod Rodriguez seems very into it. This movie made money. Um, this is the sort of thing that, like, for Rod Rodriguez, has to be sort of a dream job, right? Like, um, it, it gives you gravitas. It's a, it's a big budget project, but you have somebody like James Cameron backing you up. You don't have to fight with, with suits as much. You don't have to fight with the John Landau's as much as you do get to uh, make your case to someone like James Cameron. Um, well, and he's working directly with Disney now, too. He just did the book of Boba Fett, which even though yeah. it wasn't successful, um, I mean, he's working with them. And I'm assuming that, you know, he's he's one of he has some connections to the studio yeah. outside of James Cameron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, the interesting thing, like not to jump back too far, but like one of the interesting things is like I think about James Cameron as someone who bashes the studio system into order. And Robert Rodriguez is someone who gets frustrated with the studio system. And then he's like, exactly. I can go make it in my backyard. Right. Um but hey kids got any more ideas <laughs> <laughs> but to, uh, the most pessimistic version of me has a few uh concepts of why a sequel wouldn't happen right 
Um, first, we've we've already talked about the 20th Century Fox Disney merger is it it's just a fucking bummer, man. Like we pro- we may not get a Ridley Scott Alien sequel because of that, but Ridley Scott had some sort of like old school connections before that could get him making a sequel to Prometheus. And it sounded like he was working on a sequel to Covenant. It killed uh, Neil Blomkamp's attempts to uh, sort of reboot or sidequel the franchise. Oh no, yeah, that, uh, da darn. That, yeah, that, sometimes things are good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm saying I want I want the I want Ridley Scott. Well, Ridley Scott is alive and he still wants to play in the Alien Sandbox. Go for it. Yeah, those guys. Neil Blobkin, I think, can get Chappie Two off the ground. Maybe <laughs> Chappie Two. What's Chappinin? <laughs> well, and then they they gave it to Noah Hawley, so we get that in the Disney merger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a business decision. It 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 should literally have been illegal for that to happen. It bums me out <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah. So my 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 point is that like we've already talked about it. Twentieth Century Fox, like it wiped the sick clean. Disney is is far more selective on what their big budget franchise movies look like. Yeah, uh, and what their potential is for spinoffs. And are you trying to make eight movies? And like just there's a whole there's a whole there's a whole you know. Uh, can of worms there secondly um the movie made money yes however this was a movie that was in development for 20 years um this is a movie that probably cost more than the stated budget was on paper um it's probably a movie that somebody said holy fucking shit it took james cameron 20 years to get his, his shit together like do we want to give him like the green light to start on something like this? Is he going to wait until he finishes Avatar 4 to get interested? Like this may be something that James Cameron gets pulled away from. The guy that's that, that you know, actually gets the project. Maybe he, he could get pulled away from it because he himself is doing a full blooded, whole body sort of uh, devotion yeah. to his own work. Or they could discover uh, something new and cool in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. He's, He's gone for three it. years. He was planning on doing this originally. He was planning on doing this in the 2000s. And then he was like, no, no, no. After I do one of my underwater documentaries, yeah. like this abyss of... Go, go, go. He was going to do Ghost of the... He's like, I'm going to do Ghost, Ghost of the Abyss. And Ghost then I'm the going to do... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Second argument. Um, there's just kind of like a, you know, it made money, but also like, you know, it was a 20 year development, basically. Like maybe, maybe at the end of the day, there's a big line item uh, that had to come uh, cashing in when the money started coming in. <laughs> I think that there's also, I mean, there's also just a chance that, like, as time goes on, uh, for random business decisions, they just decide, you know, people saw at that time, but that was because of these three factors that uh, a focus group testing reported, or these three factors that our analysts came up with. It actually is not something that's replicatable in the future, right? Just silly Hollywood math. Um and I could I could very well see that doing it. James Cameron is someone who makes who turns over heaven and earth to, to get movies made. If he really wants it to get done, as Ethan pointed out, I think it would get done. However, I'm not super optimistic because of the things I've just talked about. Right. Just pessimism. Yeah. I mean, I also I, I do think that unless they leaned very heavily into James Cameron's involvement right now, which, I, you know, didn't necessarily, I think. Like, I think that could get people to the theater. But even though I think there's a cult following and a lot of people that like this movie, I don't think a sequel would be financially successful. Like, I do – but 
You are ignoring the so, the 177,455 signatures on this change.org petition. <laughs> that's that's butts in seats right there. How, how can you double check the Morbius one and see how many were on? Oh, good idea. <laughs> let's look at the let's look at the comparison. I, I like I, I do what they should do is there's there's a lot more story to adapt. I like I could I could see them doing a either a Disney Plus show or a Disney Plus movie. And I do think Robert Rodriguez could do a 80 million dollar sequel. I think I think if they got the budget down further enough, which Robert Rodriguez knows how to cut corners. I mean, the this movie is Salazar's real face. That, yeah, I mean, this movie shave a line out of the budget. This movie is gorgeous and it does look like they spent all the money on it. But I also think like. You've already done the big vision of the future and the, the, the you know, I don't know what the next um, components are of the story are focused on. But it seems like her trying to get to a much more contained area in the, you know, the city above uh, the the city above in the sky. I don't remember what I mean. They'd say Zalem. It, uh, Zalem. What is it? It's Zalem. Zalem. Oh, Okay. Some people put a little extra oomph in a few of those, and I'm like, I got to remember to look it up because I feel like there's a few inconsistent. Per- so, but like, I I think you could do it. Um, but yeah, I I agree. I'm a little pessimistic. I I I think it's rare that one of these mo- like I think if there was like a rabid following of this, that it would be more likely to get made. And I think instead, it's a lot of people that go, oh yeah, that was pretty good, or I didn't really like it that much. And like, that's really, that's a hard level of at least from a general film goer passion to get a sequel made that has all these other challenges in front of it. So I I tend to agree. There is an absolutely rabid following for this thing. It just happens to be very contained, it seems, to Twitter. Where there are people are buying bots to like spam uh, best movie ever brackets and it ends up being like, oh, God, whatever it was like Portrait of a Lady on Fire versus Alita for great movies matchup. Um, (laughs) And I'm used to seeing. I mean, this hold on, though, like. This is a good movie, but this doesn't have like greatest film ma- film moments like when Flash entered yes. the Speed Force, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's clear. That's the greatest Oscar movie winning of all moments. Time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean yeah. that was voted on. Yeah. Like you saying democracy doesn't work. Flash, we're almost at the one year anniversary of Flash entering the Speed Zone being the greatest movie moment of all time, and Alita is not quite there. I didn't see Alita voted in any of those. I, Army I, of I you would think, yeah. yeah. I do think it's funny. To be in, like, starting to uh, not quite associate myself with these people, but start to be like, yeah, like, you guys are right. Like, let's get it. Let's get a sequel going. Um, but for something that's not um, a Snyderverse thing, because <laughs> I was just about to mention the, the, the enters the Speed Force thing, where it was like, yeah, like, you can you can spend all day posting, all fucking day posting about this thing, but if nobody goes and sees, you know, this this movie uh, and more people see Wonder Woman, your cause is kind of lost, right? Well, yeah. and what the Justice League people have is is the idea that uh, it's Zack Snyder's vision, and you can't really pin this to some sort of heroic martyr. You can't say this is like you know to be fair to Robert Rodriguez, we have to make more movies the way that yeah. they they do with <laughs> yeah. Zack Snyder. Misguided or not, that is a narrative you can whip up there that you can't really hear. No, 
No, you're yeah. you're you're absolutely correct. So yeah, yeah, the, the, these, wanna... yeah, this movie doesn't appeal to the worst aspects of our society <laughs> in any meaningful, actionable. You way. are going to get swatted if you are not careful. um but yeah do you guys want to talk about alita battle angel colon so much angel wait hold on really quickly before we go over i have to i this is the thing i was trying to pull up earlier that aaron sent me um so one of the other producers uh was john landa i was like you know he's he's an old hand he's been around for forever uh, is this for the podcast or is this happening on break? <laughs> this is this is happening right now. Um, <laughs> Still very unclear. Uh, John yeah. John uh, John Lando said, "It's it, it's Alita colon Battle Angel because the next one will be Alita Fallen Angel and then Alita you know Avenging Angel and then Alita whatever. <laughs> I mean, assuming we make some money, <laughs> Alita Hold whatever on, is going to be my favorite." That Cameron that said that. <laughs> that was John Lando. I thought that was Cameron that said that because John Landau was the one. I hold on, go relook at that quote. Hold on, hold on. Oh, that was Cameron. That, oh, goddamn uh, it! But it, but then it ends with John Landau also revealed that. That's why I got confused. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, Cameron said Cameron said that. Um, which I don't know if we make money. I mean, this is the guy that pitched an alien sequel by drawing dollar signs on a whiteboard. So I mean, he's he and he was right. Yeah, he was. He was right. Yeah, he made money. When he's right, he's right. Um, but yeah, All right, you guys want to talk about Alita? Battle colon. Battle Alita colon. Battle. Yeah. Yes. All right. Let's do it. All right. Keep recording. We're gonna uh, take a bathroom break. And then right we'll back, get the right last forty-five minutes out, and then we'll tuck you in bed, read you a story. Oh, give you a thank kiss you. On the forehead. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll be, start volume stories from manga. Childhood. Yeah. So. <laughs> Sneak into the bedroom and try not to wake my wife up. <laughs> Earth angel, Earth angel, will you be mine, my darling dear? Love you all the time. I'm just a fool, a fool in love with you. Yeah, so what, I, I, what happens in this movie? Who wants to take us through this plot? Uh, well, should we ask the... the I was going to say we should book? ask Ethan, because Ethan will have both a I lot of the plot. the to do this duty. He's, he's basically a guest host at this point. He's been on enough. He, yeah. you know, he's been on when I haven't been on <laughs> in a way that hasn't affected me in any way. He's the guest with the most. <laughs> the most knowledge of, of this movie, probably, having watched it twice in two days. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I forget. Uh, we can take this part out. We stopped doing a quick recap. We just go through the movie and then jump in whenever you want. That's related. So, so Ethan, if you want to take us through. Sure. Sounds, sounds yeah. fun. Um, so, we open on, well, we open on the 20th Century Fox logo, which transforms into the 26th century fox logo and that's when you know that you are in for a special movie is when they screw with the fucking studio logo i do i like what i like what they do it's amazing i I love it it's i'm such a fucking sucker for this shit like it could be the worst movie ever but they're like whoa i love i love when i start when they do like a 70s movie like and starts with like the 70s warner brothers logo or some shit knock at the cabin starts with the 70s universal logo 
Yeah, it's big great. fan of that. Yeah, w- was it like jo- like Jordan Peele? Like, who was the first like modern filmmaker to be like, no, we're fucking with this. We're going, we're going backwards. And then all of a sudden, studios were like, yeah, we don't have to use whatever's in the brand package that we paid seven million dollars for. Doesn't didn't didn't uh, I mean? If anyone would know, it's you, Ethan. Doesn't didn't PTA do that with a few? Oh God, maybe he has. He probably did with Inherent Vice with the. Uh, the I thought Warner he did with Inherent logo. Vice and yeah. Licorice Pizza. And he kind of fucked up if he didn't for Inherent Vice or Licorice. Yeah, maybe. Pizza. He, maybe he did. And, I don't uh, know. Well, Fincher did it with Zodiac, which was 2007, which feels. I remember it was kind of the first time that I was like, "Oh yeah, that's cool." He's going back to the. Yeah, but you can tell shit's gonna get wild if they use the Universal logo. That's the little mini biplane. Oh, oh yeah, love that plane. <laughs> You know, if they're going back to that, that yeah. shit's about to get off yeah. the hook. I think I want someone to just insert a studio logo for like RKO, yeah. like a studio yeah. that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. I like to pretend the plane is Amelia Earhart and she's always with us. She's always. This one's for you, Amelia. Yeah. It's kind of cool how she kept putting out flights for like seven years after her death. Yeah, that's why they couldn't find her. She just been circling yeah. that she logo. She just kept set, set, sending flight logs. They just she continued so... the logo. Yeah. We got so derailed so fast. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Okay, we're railed. Okay, fine, Ethan, we're railed. Then, because Uh, then we have the next thing that I love, which is a title card that says 25, whatever, whatever, 300 years after the fall. Yeah. So right right away, we're doubling down. What is the fall? I don't know. I want to know more about it. Tell me more. And then we cut to a giant city in the sky pooping. Yeah. And it dumps all of this garbage down onto, I think it's called the scrapyard in Iron City. Yeah. Where we have Ito, played by Christoph Waltz. Waltz. Who's great in this movie. Naturally. I mean, he's great in everything, but like, (laughs) I think this is a movie where you're kind of like, oh, this guy can say anything. And it's just, he, he feels very natural regardless of setting. Like, I always thought Chris, Christoph Waltz was, was great. Who doesn't? But, like, seeing him in this setting, I think, was the first time I'm like, oh, he seems down to earth and grounded in a way that no one else in this film does. Or I think no one else it would be possible to feel this grounded. He's just so goddamn good. He is. And he's kind of always just doing the Christoph Waltz thing, but he's doing it well. And that's what you hire him for. And he looks yeah. remarkably like the guy in the, the manga. So points for casting. Yeah. Um. So he, what he does is he is searching around for little bits of cyborg and putting him in his little fanny pack. And then he <laughs> he comes upon the <laughs> I was going to say the bust because it's just the shoulders and, and head of a woman. But I shouldn't say the bust of a woman. He comes upon the, <laughs> the head and shoulders. Oh, yeah. The movie yes. gets very problematic if he tries yes. to recreate the bust. <laughs> well, well, it becomes a Frankenhooker situation. Later, he does try to recreate the bust of his dead daughter, but we can get to that. Yeah. Oh my god, I don't, I don't want to forget to mention. So, what we learn later is that he gives her the name Alita uh, after his his dead daughter. Uh, in the the book, he gives her the name Alita after his dead cat. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a like real raise the stakes maybe yeah a, a real we called the dog indiana moment well you well you said <laughs> hold on but you said the the mom character is not jennifer Connolly's character is not in the book so i guess that makes sense it's like, got it's got to have some emotional resonance but we can't make yeah. it his daughter yeah i mean they could have <laughs> you, it was yeah. just a real first draft decision yeah. um and so he finds this head and shoulders bust of a lady cyborg 
And he picks it up and he goes, you're still alive. And how can you tell? Anyway, well, he sticks a, her in his fanny pack. He's a, he's a cyborg doctor. And I believe the next thing we have is Alita, the battle angel, waking up in bed in, yeah. a, in a child's bedroom with. Yeah, this- well, he he had the legs laying around. He did. Oh, right. There's he he's he's stitching her back together. We see very briefly. Yeah. And he says, yeah. what are you dreaming? Yeah. And we yeah. probably don't need this. Fights. Yeah, as it turns out. <laughs> and we we've uh, we talked about with the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes um, uh, episode. We talked about how <clears throat> very interested how this is going to connect. <laughs> the movie begins and the movie sort of ends with a close up of Caesar's face to sort yeah. of sell oh, yeah. the illusion. Like we're so confident in the tech that we're actually going to give you a moment of just like stillness and to give you a sense of like the reality and like having this like peaceful moment in bed, as opposed to like showing her like immediately thrown into battle, I think is like kind of like one of the reasons people associate with this movie so much is that like you, you associate her as this like vulnerable, like sweet, beautiful young woman and, and kind of in a moment of peace. Um, she has been brought to life by Ido or brought back to life by Ido. And like, there's just a moment of her being kind of fish out of water, uh, for the first act. Yeah. Well, and I, I do think all of that, like, if we're going to like just drilling quickly to like the character of Lita and how she connects with the audience. So one thing that's been interesting about this month is that my eight year old daughter has watched all four of the movies with, with me. She, the only one she had seen previously is Valerian and she loves Valerian. She's watched on her own quite a bit and she didn't connect well with mortal engine like it's almost like i'm doing a weird no. study of like a, she didn't connect well with mortal <laughs> engines and she didn't connect well with jupiter sending she had no idea what the fuck was going on and had no connection to characters she liked some of the big that's stuff also that because going. she's sim- uh, one of the influences that i have given her is being anti-english yes you you made it very clear that you don't like the english which yeah is specific I mean, to which only- of these movies uh mortal engines oh that's um, right um uh, so yeah, I spent, you know, three or four days with your daughter yeah. and I like that I imparted on no context. Just move right on from that statement. I, I, uh, <laughs> I hate your other people English. were there too. Um, <laughs> just to be clear. Uh, yeah, very German of you. Um, but the, the, um, oh shit, I lost my train of thought. Um, she watched uh, oh, these movies but, with you. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, she loved this movie and she like, I know we, we talked about, the eyes. One of the things my daughter said at the end of this movie was, "Can I make my eyes look like that?" So, <laughs> oh they, no. So they're clearly like you mentioned the close up on the eyes and that it looks really realistic. Like she, she both really liked the character, but also really liked like there was something aesthetically that's like that's cool. I like that. And so even though it kind of missed us, probably as a. Uh, uh, older white men i guess middle-aged white men uh however you'd want to describe yourself uh clearly the design was doing something for like you know uh for for a third grader as an example i have a direct question for ethan yeah in the manga are alita's eyes noticeably bigger than other characters eyes no are all the characters eyes big because it's manga it's her eyes are fairly normal sized (laughs) it's such a weird creative decision (laughs) fairly normal sized that's so weird. I assumed it had to be. It's based well, it looks, on nothing. That's a bizarre choice, then. Yeah, especially because right, so, because none of the other robots have big eyes, oversized eyes. So so okay. So I 
Is it racist? Have a particular qualm with this. And throughout the movie, I grew to accept that that was just a particular physical quirk that she had. Um, because so much of the movie is like believable and direct and it, the movie wasn't just full of bullshit like this. Right. Um, and then, you know, like even I, I talked about in previous episodes, I think it was a Valerian episode, like even Avatar, a movie that I love and Avatar really water, a movie I also love. Um, it takes you about 15 minutes to accept that, that the Navi are people like that. They're not ones and zeros in this. It took me a lot longer to accept that. Here's my, my thing. They cast Rosa Salazar because she's a great actor, um, but they cast Rosa Salazar also because she has a very unique kind of eerie look and she has big eyes. And then they were like, you know what? We really need to gild bigger. Bigger. I want to ask a question to you two. Have you seen Rosa Salazar that you know of seen Rosa Salazar in anything outside of Alita? Yes. I She's s- fairly young. I saw her. She had an arc on the TV show Parenthood, and that's what I associate her with. Okay. Okay. And then I uh, I loved her. Um, brand, and brand now new I like, sort of tracked her from Brand New Cherry Flavor. Aaron, have you seen her in anything? Oh, I'm looking, um, I haven't entered the Scorch yet, but I see that she's in those <laughs> movies. Um, <laughs> she's, she has, I believe she is, she has been Scorched. Um, uh, no, I guess I haven't, um, I haven't seen Parenthood. Oh, I mean, I guess she's a guest star in a show that I did watch that went off the air. She's in Bedtime, uh, she's in Tim and Eric's Bedtime Stories, the Tornado episode, which I must have seen. That's a good I, one. I, I haven't. I haven't I haven't seen the entire series. I've only seen like I think like the first season. So yeah, I don't think I've seen her. I mean, from looking at this, there, with the exception of like yeah, I, I don't remember her in that bedtime stories episode. And I I definitely watch every episode of Ben and Kate, the Nate Faxon Dakota Johnson show that lasted thirteen episodes. But I, I don't did watch a that. bunch of that show because I was living by myself and didn't have a lot else going on. but my point here is um i watched brand new cherry flavor a couple years ago i actually recommend it in our best of 2021 uh, episode um and uh, i loved it um and she is perfect for horror and sci-fi and such because she is while she's very beautiful she does have a sort of eeriness like especially when she's staring or especially staring right down the barrel um during particular scenes she has a particular eeriness and she has big eyes but a small face like, she already has a sort of, I don't want to say uncanny because that sounds, like, physically insulting, but she already has a, a sort of ethereal quality to her um, that makes her very compelling to look at. Mm-hmm. And I don't particularly know why they needed to gild the lily. I, I was looking into this. I understand that, like, some of it is like, oh, we wanted to lean into, like, anime and manga aesthetics. Like, that was the answer I kept getting. Uh, or I mean, not to... Battle Angel manga aesthetics, but other, <laughs> other ones. We've Just seen. generalize the yeah. form, yeah. I guess. Um, I don't know. Do either of you have a theory about this? Because I well, I don't anymore. <laughs> I assume, I assume the theory was pretty simple that it was based on they made a bad decision to do, do too close of a stylistic adaptation. Um, it is something I do, you know, like Avatar. Though I do get over it, like. As I'm watching the movie, like I, I start to really like the character of Alita as I'm watching it both times I have and like I get over the big eye thing. But again, I, I agree with you. Like I don't think there's anything bes- that adds to it and likely when we watch it 20 years from now and the way all these movies work, like even like 
like we talk about, you know, Tron Legacy and the the de aging technology. Like, have you watched Ant Man recently? When when everyone was like, "Holy shit, Michael Douglas!" They de- like it doesn't look as good as it did in twenty fourteen, and like that's going to happen with this too. And that's a shame because it didn't need to. Ethan, what what do you think about all this? The big eyes. I th- impact it has on her overall face. I think we have well covered it, and we are only two seconds into the recap of this okay, movie. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, okay. But my 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 only point there is that this was a, a constant distraction in the movie. Uh, also, because in order to make the eyes big, they also had to widen her face, which means they couldn't use Rosen Salazar's real teeth. So they had to give her CGI teeth at times, which also sometimes had a little bit of the Sonic the Hedgehog uh, beta um, kind of quality. The Chippendales to it. version. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she is an entirely CGI creation. There is no, it's a mocap performance. There is no yeah. yes. real Rosa Salazar in this yes. movie. Yes. However, through all of all of the things that I said were, were kind of insulting to the CGI there, I do think that the humanity of the performance comes through. And, and I, I yeah. rooted for Alita pretty quickly, even if at times I went... <laughs> For the listener, Peter is is yeah. cr- is, right. is is quite frightened. Um, All right, Ethan, I think she's terrific. I think she's terrific in this movie, and I think the next sequence is where she really gets to show off um, a lot of what makes her charming in this movie, which is she wakes up in bed in a child's bedroom and sort of discovers her cyborg body. She has a new pearly white cyborg body under her shoulders sort of wobbles for half a second and then has the hang of it very quickly. Yeah. It looks kind of marionettes. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, and then she sort of bursts out into the world. She is introduced to her, her new surrogate father, Ito, and his assistant who has, I think, zero lines in the entire movie despite being a constant presence. <laughs> I have to wonder if some <laughs> stuff got shaved away there. Yeah. Um, and she she bursts out onto the street of Iron City and gets to sort of discover the world. And I think she is absolutely charming as this sort of naif uh, discovering what oranges are by taking a giant chomp out of one. And just running around and being absolutely delighted by this universe. Um, one, one of my major thoughts on this movie is that Robert Rodriguez did a terrible job of creating a post-apocalyptic hellscape. He <laughs> he he created a lovely walkable neighborhood. Iron City is supposed You're to right. be miserable. It's supposed to be somewhere that everybody is dying to get away from. There are people playing music on the street. There are yeah. there are food carts. Everyone seems to be having a terrific time. Really really happy. Yeah, did you notice? Okay, did you also notice this thing really stuck in my head? The point that you're making this really stuck in my head. When Hugo gives her, so she meets a boy named Hugo. He, they go on dates and such. Um, they also play a uh, street version of Motorball. We'll get to that in a moment. Um, and he takes her on a date. He gives her a chocolate bar. And I don't know if you're like, you've like, see, like your grandparents used to tell you stories about how expensive <laughs> candy was back in the day. This motherfucker gives him a candy, a can, gives her a candy bar that's bigger than her it's, head. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a flattened Toblerone. It's all of these people are supposed to be like in some sort of yeah. state of distress, but like honestly, this place Iron City seems pretty nice. Um, well, here's also, what... also it, it, one one quick note for past Aaron that this is a world city, which is like a very common sci-fi trope. The idea that like so many cultures just smashed together that like there's oh. no more nations. Yeah, it's just sort of people. 
the entire most of the rest of the world is like irradiated or fucked up or it, it's the last of the great the floating cities and the last of like the them living off the yes. trickle down economics of that yeah and Trash. i feel like the movie rightly kind of idealizes that a little bit where they're like well yeah all these people are mixed together which means you get like great street food <laughs> you get great music like all the all the cultures are mixed together which means you get great like fashion like um, like, I don't know, like, it, it seems like a pleasant place to live. Aaron, what'd you, what'd you make of that? I was just, I think it's very funny that when there's a part, and I'm skipping ahead, but that means we don't have to cover it later, when they leave the city and they go out into nature, and they're all very disgusted by how nature looks, and it's like this beautiful, gorgeous, like, well, like, you know, normally when you it's go like to, tropical like, tropical Mexico, I think? Yeah, like, when you, normally when you go to the, the outside of the city in the post-apocalyptic hellscape everything is dead and decaying and it's sandy and it just looks like unlivable and this is like a beautiful foresty wilderness area and all the characters are like "Mm, gross there's nothing out there's basically nothing out here and i have to imagine again ethan may know more like both that and the city the movie is portraying this like sort of cool ass a uh, city that has seems to be no one seems to be too po- well uh too uh too poorly off except for the fact that there's like you know bounty hunters roaming the street and stuff like that and then they they have a they have an outside the apocalyptic city that's a beautiful gorgeous wilderness and everyone's like this sucks so i'm assuming that rodriguez just decided to not follow the source material there i don't know it almost seems to me like robert rodriguez just loves life too much to want to create a hellscape he just seems like he might be kind of a sweetheart is the vibe i get is the guy this is the guy as aaron alluded to who made a movie called the adventures of shark boy and lava girl in 3d based on a pitch from his little kid who said i'm the shark boy and she's the lava girl and he was like there's a movie in that (laughs) Well, even Desperado, I mean, even Desperado and Once Upon a Time in Mexico, from my memory, they really end in like these triumphant, like he's not a indie filmmaker that has downer endings. He wants his, his characters to go through crazy action sequences and usually end up in happy places. Yeah. And I, I think that one of the interesting things about watching El Mariachi and Desperado now, um, which I, 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 I watched Desperado a few years ago because I was just like, I had an itch for it. Um, it, it rules. Um, and, and, <laughs> it's, it's it's a cool movie. Um, is that like it? It is one of the few movies from the late twentieth century going into the early twentieth century, or the early twenty first century. Excuse me. Um, that does not depict Mexico as a cartel ridden hellscape, despite it being a movie about a guy whose girlfriend or his wife gets like murdered by the cartel and he has to like get revenge and then he falls in love with Salma Hayek. Like it's a movie about tragedy and and the drug war, but it's like. But, like, Mexico in those movies looks vibrant and alive, and he's, like, sure to depict that there's these, like, beautiful little corners of, like, music and food and culture and people living their lives. It's not just, like, wall-to-wall suffering because the cartel exists. Yeah. Also worth noting about Iron City, uh, I I believe – I read this part on Wikipedia. Um, I believe in the manga you learned that this is Kansas City, Missouri. There's a above the the, the bounty hunter bar. It's, they have a neon light that says Kansas, yep. and I was like, "Okay." I tried to turn it into a, a Wizard of Oz thing initially, but I think it makes I, more sense. Me too. Me too. Uh, we're not in Kansas anymore, kind of. Yeah. I mean, if you're in Kansas City, Missouri, you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Terrific point. <laughs> One of the most confusing things about America. A very confusing yeah, there's place. Also, Michigan City, Indiana. Yeah. Um. There's there's a Paris, Texas. There's a lot of them. Let's yeah. keep moving. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh-huh. let's. 
<laughs> so as we alluded to, she meets Hugo, the world's least interesting love interest, and they are immediately smitten with one another. Um, she hasn't had a lot of experience. That's yeah, true. She yeah. just she just imprints she on seen him. Many boys. Yep. He is he's really taking advantage of the fact that he, she hasn't met another uh, boy. human. Her yeah, another human aside from her surrogate father. Her kind of age, like I mean, she's three hundred years old, even though she acts like a teenager. Yeah, Hugo was like, <laughs> she's like, I wasn't born yesterday. I was born the day before yesterday. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and one of the other important bits of information we learn here is that there is a serial killer on the loose. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Ser- I, I'm sort of, I'm sort of uh, jumping in as well. Yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's, there's a serial killer on the loose. There's a um, red, uh, red herring sort of plotline where Alita believes that. Uh, Ito is the serial killer for a moment until she has a stunning revelation. Uh, he's he- a bloodborne boss. <laughs> he's, he's, he's yes, he's a bloodborne boss. Well, she wakes up in the night and she sees him coming in covered in blood, which is yeah. sketchy. Mm-hmm. And this is it's it's terribly confusing what happens How next. You know what blood is? Great point. She doesn't have any, or hers is blue, as we learn. All cyborg blood is blue. Mm-hmm. Um. But we, 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 it is heavily implied that he is the serial killer because yeah. we, we see this moment Also played of, by Christoph Waltz. Right. <laughs> Famously a killer. Yeah. Um, of great performances, that is. He kills his performances. <laughs> and my heart. Yes. <laughs> so it's heavily implied killer he's- Oscar ballots that didn't check him. Here's my question for you guys. Who is the serial killer in the movie? It's Gru- it's Grushka and the other and the other uh, yeah. cronies. Chromies. Okay, see I was just I was just curious if it did register because it absolutely did not for me on the first watch. <laughs> yeah, because I, so, I thought yeah, I thought the idea was that he is not the serial killer, he's hunting the serial killer. Right. He's yeah. he's a bounty hunter, is yeah. what we learned when she but, sneaks out after him. But yeah, what's confusing about it is it seems like he's hunting this redhead, little red riding hood sort of like vulnerable figure. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, stop it. And then he's like, you just fucked this up. I was hunting a bounty. <laughs> right. So, yes. Yeah. And she immediately like did I, in your Twitter research, Ethan, because she kicks at all the bounty hunters ass. And like one thing I like is that she doesn't have to really learn that she's amazing and the best fighter in the world. Like she gets a little bit better as the movie goes on. But I like how immediately competent and successful she is. And the movie never really backs away from that which like you know her one setback is based on someone kind of really unevening the odds and she still walks away from that triumphant in that she she does stop the person with one arm and uh and just a head at the end of it but like i was curious if your twitter research like this one thing when i was watching this movie i'm like man i if this movie was more popular i'm sure there would be this fucking terrible contingent of misogynistic movie bros who are like you know what a mary sue she's perfect from the get-go and blah 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 i was wondering if that ever even like did this movie register that or if it did i am blissfully unaware good i don't remember it either i think it's maybe because she's uh an anime waifu um and so every man misogynist on the internet believes that she's his girlfriend oh that could help uh, well, and it's sort of – it's baked into the premise that she has awoken in this – you know, ha, she has awoken with baked in 
awareness of a an incredible martial art. Yeah. Yeah. Which but she, I, I like that. I, li- I like that she doesn't have a journey. <laughs> I mean, from like a fighting and physical like I like that she just kind of kicks ass. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. We were joking about the fact that there's a moment where she's trying to get her confidence up and she's uh, she's doing little fight moves like in her room. And uh, I was joking with my wife because she was like, why is she practicing? She's a robot. It's <laughs> like, yeah, this is like, you know, if you want to do a really complicated thing in Excel, you have to do like a really basic yeah. uh, algorithm, really basic pivot table first. Like it's AI learn. You don't want to overcook Excel, yeah. you know. Chat GPD is only getting better. So they got it. Ah, <laughs> they do that terrifying. Really quickly. They do that really quickly to register with you the fact that she is connecting with the fact that she's a badass. And yeah. it's kind of coming to her so naturally that she doesn't get to have that arc. Yeah. And that happens later when she gets her her actual suit. because Her actual body. Like, her, yeah, yeah, her actual body. Um, Let's talk about that now. We can jump around the pot a little bit. So well, I think we could. Sure I mean, we're, we're almost all the way there because, I mean, yeah. there's. Go, go ahead, Ethan. Well, yes. Yeah, so we are introduced here in the Bounty Hunter sequence. We're introduced to a whole bunch of concepts at once. One of them is Gruishka, who is this evil giant cyborg man. And we learn he he is defeated very quickly and runs away screaming, I won't forget this. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's very video gamey in that way. Yes. Way. And that is where we learn, yes, that, that Christoph Waltz is, in fact, a hunter warrior, which is a bounty hunter because we live in a post-police, post-gun world, and yeah. instead we have bounty hunters with crazy mechanical electric weapons. Don't don't see at all why guns are outlawed, but giant electronic scythes are okay. I let, mean, let alone the fact like that, an overall... It still seems like an overall improvement for Missouri. <laughs> well, sure, but let alone the fact that everybody is a living weapon in this movie, yeah. or at least... Yeah. How would you feel as a human being walking around in this movie when it seems like 75% of the population is a living weapon? It is so confusing to me. Well, and they have... The, their, their sport is just like, it's okay if you don't play the sport and just chop people up. Yeah, just death yeah. ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I do uh, I do want to just stop here really quickly and there's this whole thing where like cyber mod becomes for some people it's a it's a requirement let's say you got injured in your industrial or your farm job right um, for some people it's a choice like you're like I want to make myself better so I became a cyborg um, and uh, very much called to mind a, uh, a universe that's far more it's you know like in contrast to what you're saying Ethan like a universe that's far more dystopic um, in its vision which is the cyberpunk universe um, which is a tabletop game turned into a video game also there's a really awesome Netflix short limited series uh, anime series uh, based on cyberpunk called Edge Runners. it's awesome definitely recommend it um and uh, one of the concepts of that universe is that everybody, all these people are doing cyber uh, modification and such. And this universe has become sort of chaotic because so many people have these like mantis blades and power arms and stuff that they can just turn anybody that's unmodified into pulp, like at will. Um, but on the flip side of that, as you do more and more body modification, you get like cyber psychosis. Um, because you've been like more and more detached from your humanity. Um, this movie doesn't really play with any of that sort of heaviness, any of that sort of like cyberpunk sort of what is the trade off to your humanity? Like what what makes you human at the end of the day? Like the movie sort of gestures in that direction. But Robert Rodriguez yeah, does something that I think is 
I think it's kind of it's sort of it sort of reminds me of like when directors are like we're not going to have any of these characters suffer racial or gender discrimination. We're just jumping to the next stage. Like yeah. <laughs> maybe they had homophobic insults thrown at them when they were a kid, maybe re- they experienced racism as a kid. But we're just jumping to the part where they're living like normal happy lives because that's the future that I envision. Robert Rodriguez seems to want to jump there too. He's like no, Alita is a human. Uh, Alita might be a cyborg that, you know, has replaceable parts, but um, I don't think Alita should feel conflicted about all of this. And so it's kind of interesting. It is a movie where, like, the arc is more about her knowledge of the world and how she has the power to manipulate the world. It's not so much about whether or not she belongs or if she has a place here or if she should even be alive, like any of the sort of blatant yeah. stuff. Well, she just she just kind of jumps to, well, now I have this power. What the fuck do I do with well, it? Well, they take and that to almost... and revolution and all of that. They take that to almost a hilarious extreme. I agree. Like, Rodriguez is not interested in any of that at all. It's just like, yeah, some people do this and who cares? I mean, literally, our main character, again, skipping ahead, gets his head cut off to save his life and then put on a robot body... And he doesn't even have a moment of like, what have I become? He's just like, hey, thanks, guys. <laughs> I, that could have been that could have been really bad, but a great idea. Cutting off my head, like that's a man who lost his dick and the rest of them. And he's like, yeah, it's fine though. I being a robot and body is just as good. Like, there's like. There's not even, like, no conflict discussed. There seems to be an absence of the concept of conflict with – or the concept of complications with having robot parts in the movie. Like, they seem interchangeable from societal – society's perspective. Indeed. So we learn (laughs) – we learn that Christoph Waltz Ito is a hunter warrior. And then two seconds later, Alita goes, me too. And she registers as a hunter warrior for what seems to be basically no reason, except that we have discovered that she is has baked into her brain uh, Mars martial arts technology, yeah. uh, because erm. she is she is the erm she is she is one of the erm the United Republic of Mars or whatever who were battling Earth in the fall, and that's what the Great War was, and it kind of we just blaze right past that, presumably for the sake of saving it for the sequel. Fair enough. And she heads. Yeah. yeah. She, she points on that, or should we head to Kansas? Let's go to Kansas. Let's she, go to Kansas. She goes to Kansas, the Hunter Warrior Bar, and it is full of crazy cyborg people, including the greatest character in this or any movie, Jeff Fahey, as a cyborg cowboy with cyborg dogs. <laughs> I, th- I was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah. Cyborg dog man rules. <laughs> and he is such a throwaway character. He's there for yeah. two scenes. He becomes an ally of hers and then disappears from the movie. And it is just too, it is, it, it, he is underused, but it is to the movie's credit that you can just come up with a character that incredible, drop him in and then just get him off the board again. He is a, he is a level four boss in a PlayStation two era action game. Like it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, it teaches you how to counter because the dogs try and bite your arms. Yeah, um, it is. It is. It is really fun. We 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 talked about a little bit in Valerian about how um, if your movie can just cr- it, it introduce a crazy idea and just let you sit in it for a second and then dispose of it, like 
that's actually like a sign that you're just overflowing with great ideas. Yeah. Right? And I love that he comes in and like the only thing we learn about him is he's just like, I don't like violence against dogs. And the audience is like, yeah, that checks out. I, yeah. I You have robot robot killer dogs. Yeah. I, I imagine you have some loyalty to them. Yeah. And that's it is important that we let people know this is a movie that fails the does the dog die test because Alita has had a little puppy who has been following her around throughout the movie. She gives him some of her sandwich in the beginning, which is super disgusting. She just (laughs) rather than ripping off some of her sandwich, she just starts passing the sandwich to the dog and then presumably goes back to her mouth. Maybe cyborgs don't care about that. Um, Yeah, I also get the sense the food is just for fun. Like she has like an atomic heart, right? And, she food? and she, but she apparently has taste buds because she learns to love chocolate. Yeah, as is favorite, that leftover from, favorite food? Is that leftover from her pre-Borg days? Like they were like, we're not going to take taste buds out. Got to give them something to fight for. It's the the Erm care about you know the pleasures in life. Yeah, yeah. When you're on Mars, I mean, you gotta yeah. gotta get get your get your joys. But you can. but at that Kansas bar, she like is like hey, we should go fight the bad guys. Everyone's like, well, grumble, grumble. And she's like, I thought you guys were the heroes. I'm going to kick all of your asses um, and to prove that you guys should follow me. And then she does proceed to kick basically everyone's axes except... Um, Zapan. Yeah. Yes, we meet, we meet, you know, yeah. we meet Zapan here, who is going to be a significant oh, character yeah. later. Um, he is a yeah, mean British good. robot, and I'm sure he made Peter so angry because he's English, and we know he hates that. <laughs> we learned that he has... It definitely seems like he, they couldn't get Jude Law 20 years ago. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah. that's true. We learned that, that he is a cyborg who spends all of his money on his pretty, pretty face and his little blade beard. Yeah. And his real hair mohawk. He's got a good sword. He's got, he's got an urn sword. Oh, right. Yeah, the Urm sword that can slice armor like butter. Yeah. It's a Damascus steel. Yeah, but at least he doesn't have a Winchester. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness. And so, yeah, Alita Alita tries to raise them in a revolutionary army, and they all just sort of look at her, which is kind of a good good bit. Yeah. So she kicks all their asses, and then Gruishka appears conveniently and bursts in and kicks even more people's asses, punches a hole in the floor says, come down and fight me down here, because this is where I grew up, and I only fight where I grew up. <laughs> yeah, in the trap. <laughs> yeah, what a homer. Um, <laughs> and he, he gives, he gives this kind of like, he gives a speech that goes nowhere, like, everyone drops their trash below, and I'm the bottom of the trash. You got the city and the sky drops their trash. You guys drop your trash. Uh, that's it. That's the bottom, and <laughs> at the bottom. That's all the people that create trash. Yeah. I mean, me personally, um, I get in bar fights all the time, and then I. Uh, but what happens is I don't fight people there. You invite I, them uh, home. Yeah, I, I I invite them back to Naperville, Illinois, and we get on a four-hour flight that night. Um, cost me a lot of money. You have to. You well, um, you're traveling four hours to start bar fights. Yeah. He's taking his bar fight video. No, 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 no. I, I start the bar fight in San Diego. Oh, and then you go where you grew up. I Four see. Four hour flight across the country. By then, we are both sober and sleepy. Um, <laughs> and we usually just kind of, um, you know, talk about, like, why we even do this. Like, is, is, is masculinity just a fraud? <laughs> uh, and I feel like we learned a lot about each other. And, um, yeah. I do think Na- I do think no Naperville, Illinois, is where San Diego sends its trash. 
There's a joke in Blade Runner 2049, or not even joke, but like an implication that LA sends their trash and San Diego is a giant <laughs> landfill now. This is kind of funny. <laughs> and I should say, in so, in fairness, uh, the Gruishka stuff. I mean, that's that's a giant chunk of the manga. It it leads yeah. it leads to a whole flashback, and it it is significant that he knows the ins and outs of this area, and and that's a much longer and bigger fight. So it's just one of those examples of things that got kind of curtailed in smashing all of this into one little movie, one very reasonably length two hour movie. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It makes sense in adaptation when you're like, this character that has a lot of weird character details isn't in the movie very much. And you're like, oh, they didn't put that much investment in the manga into it to have it be a, you know, a 10 page thing. Like, yeah, they designed this character for a broader arc. Oh, and God, there is so much that we haven't even talked about in this yeah. crazy movie. So Gruishka has been uh after he he got beat up by alita earlier he went and visited uh this other doctor played by jennifer Jennifer Connolly, who was married to christoph waltz they had a daughter who died was murdered by casper van dien who is in this movie for a hot second uh and now jennifer Connolly was a cyborg because the doctor we didn't i don't know if he's that so the so christopher waltz says doctor he repairs cyborgs and one cyborg he repaired was like have, like having the like give me my drugs and he he wouldn't help him he came back and in in his attempt to escape and steal stuff just just literally his daughter who was in a wheelchair didn't run around her even a sidestep just <laughs> ran right through his daughter to escape and killed killed their daughter alita and then uh, she, uh jennifer conley never got over it and started working with uh Mahershala ali's character vector who, uh yeah, who uh, it has some connection to to Nova and is essentially running the city for him. Is it is his literal eyes and ears uh, in 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 Iron City? Correct. And so uh, Gruishka has been rebuilt as an even more badass badass by Jennifer Connelly's character, who is sort of the inverse of Chris, Christoph Waltz's character. She is also a brilliant cyborg surgeon, but she does it for evil. Evil. Yeah. So now Gruishka has. Uh, five chains with pointy ends instead of five fingers and he sort of whips them at Alita and she is able to dance all around them until she cannot and then she is all chopped into a million little bits. Does a little corkscrew move. (laughs) Yep. And at which point she's chopped into a million little bits and you think it's all donezo for her but she lands on her fingertips as just a torso bursts up into the air and punches out Gruishka's eye and it fucking rocks. It rules it rules <laughs> so, so hard. Yeah. It's so good. I I uh I particularly love when you're watching a lot of these movies, you're like, what does you're watching a lot of these sci-fi movies, you're like, what is this movie doing uniquely? Because a lot of these movies actually start with like a cool concept and then they just fall back to uh well then we have a big fight in the um spaceship at the end and we shoot each other and it's over. Alita never forgets the fact that Alita is a robot, a cyborg. <laughs> and they're like, we can chop the shit out of her and give her like an amazing moment of heroism where, where she has nothing going on except for this one arm she has left over. And that this movie can have a moment of, of loss turn into a, a win, into a badass win, just purely by the fact that like her body is disposable. It's so cool. It's so cool. Well, I love that. What's essential is we got to get her into the berserker body, which she we yeah. also didn't mention. She has at this point gone into the uh, wastelands, the horrible, verdant, beautiful jungle, yeah, with Hugo. 
and, Glacier Park. Yes. And discovered an Erm spaceship in which she discovers an Erm berserker body. Brought it home. Christoph Waltz said, I am never, ever, ever putting your head on that. That doesn't last long. No. So when- Also, her boyfriend <laughs> is working with Vector to kill... There's a lot going on. In this movie. I don't think we've even quite gotten to that point yet. Um, no, because it, it it's... It no, it, we have because it's, it's before... Because we missed the part where they go to the actual motorball game and he has to – he's like, I have to leave. And he has to leave to go kidnap the cyborg to steal the heart to give it to Vector. And that's when my daughter was very disappointed in him um, for being evil. (laughs) The morality of an eight-year-old, yeah. Yeah. And the fact that I disagree about whether that has happened yet is just a testament to how bizarre and lumpy the this, plotting this of this thing is. This is where I was Larry. There is so much going on in yeah. this movie, which is why it's great. Yeah. So Christoph Waltz puts her on the berserker body, which is um, now made of, you know, nanobots and is a whole yeah. other order of magnitude more powerful. Oh, yeah. If you get powerful. a nanobot body, everything in sci-fi is Tommy. That's ideal. Yes. And it is at this point, I think, that we get into Motorball, uh, <laughs> which is a whole other can of worms. Well, no, now now she's competing. Now she'd seen it. She did the street ball. She saw the match. She's trying out. Gotcha, gotcha. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because Hugo wants, just like uh, Jennifer Connelly and seemingly everybody, wants nothing more than to get to the floating city of Zalem, which we learn yeah. nothing about, except that it is apparently no. very desirable to be there. Unclear why. Because, again, Iron City seems great. Yeah. It does – I mean, they do kind of allude to – it's just Nova, who we should just quickly mention. Nova is seen in two minor roles, in two minor scenes for like a second. It's played by Edward Norton in crazy like white hair, uh, Dr. Wiley. The trick works though. It does. Because when he takes the glasses off at the end, I was like, holy shit, that was Edward Norton and it didn't work previously. Well, the movie did its job then and made you recognize yeah, Edward Norton. Job. It took you out yeah. of the movie and made you go, oh, from Glass Onion. <laughs> anyway. From in the Valley of Ella. <laughs> from that movie about smoking pot where he plays two different characters. Leaves of Grass. Thank you so much. So, yes. at a movie called Leaves the Faith. of Grass, but it's not a Walt Whitman adaptation? Yeah, I think it is a Walt Whitman adaptation. It is an adaptation of Walt Whitman? No, he plays, a, so. he plays a stoner and his brother or something. Isn't there some... Never mind. We don't have time for that. Go. Nope. Go. Nope. With Go. This, now it's Leaves of Grass Corner. So, <laughs> one way that you can get to Zalem is by becoming the best at motorball. And so, yeah. that's what they decide Alita should do. So, she goes to try out for, to be the best at motorball. Um, but yes, we have we have meanwhile learned that but Vector has conscripted everyone else to kill her during the the motorball match, which I just want to know, like, I love this because they have like the uh, sports announcers has not changed in 600 years. And they, you know, they stopped <laughs> doing the actual motorball thing. Right. Like they, they and the announcer is still like trying to keep everyone in the crowd interested, even though this is turning into just people trying to murder each other. And that is like my favorite detail a funny like background detail because the whole guy is like, well, hopefully a motorball match ends up breaking out and people are like, <laughs> he's like, he's, he doesn't stop or call the police. He's like, I'm just going to keep riffing and, and hopefully the crowd stays engaged. Like he has one job regardless of what's going on. 
and he is hyper focused on it and i love it well it's too fun to write those announcer characters yeah, though like dodgeball has a fun character like yeah. that even in episode one the pod race they the so theoretically if you know if that's canon to history it was a long time ago in a galaxy far far away um pod racing announcers also later influenced um yeah. nascar announcers yeah. um it's a real direct link race yeah. horse announcers i wonder yeah. if she said something to them in the locker room like it's <laughs> that's so it. yeah it's so good yes well yeah. we live we it's live funny. in this sort of like weird liminal space between lawfulness and lawlessness it apparently yeah. doesn't matter if there are murders happening on the motorball court no no if it happens on tv it's fine right yeah <laughs> That's, I mean, that's like rollerball. That's a very, that's a very future sport thing. Right? Yes, murders yeah. are okay. Yeah, honestly, honestly, Aaron. Also, a past sport to, thing. We could have anchored this onto a future future sport yeah. Um, month. Yeah. Um, and if you want to, yeah. if you want to get sad about it, it's kind of the same with professional sports now. Anyway, yeah, yeah that's why I said it's yeah, very very similar. Devaluation yeah, I, of human life. That that football thing just happened. Also, you guys ever heard about the Coliseum? I have heard of that. Crazy. It was not Crazy. good. <laughs> so, a <laughs> lead like reviews wise, sir. It was great, great announcers. <laughs> Thumbs down. Like like the stand food wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. or, I, I'm not sure. We were seats to. seats were very uncomfortable. so alita is in the middle of a battle for her life it turns out because vector nova wants vector to get alita for unclear reasons so vector hires all of these oh right she has an erm heart which can power iron city for five years alone or some shit well something i missed despite watching this movie twice in two days (laughs) i'm watching it with subtitles the second time just to try and make sure i didn't miss anything it does justify why why characters aren't immediately smashing her face in. Mm. They're like, we need the core of her. Yeah. We don't need we don't need the rest of her body, but we need the core of her. Yes. Uh, so she's in the middle of this giant motorball match to her death, but apparently has Bluetooth in her helmet and can take a bunch of phone calls during it. Yeah. So she gets a call from Hugo, who has now been doing uh, not bounty hunting. He's he's harvesting parts from other cyborgs. Yeah. Uh, so she gets a call from Hugo, who is being now pursued by Zapan. Yeah, the cyborg boy with the beautiful British face. Yeah, because they they said that he was a murderer. Like, yeah, so they put, they had put a bounty on it. Well, and again, this makes no sense. Z- Zapan They're trying to destroy her life, I guess. Well, no, they are, but Zapan uh, catches Hugo in the act of uh, harvesting parts from a cyborg, and. He says, well, you're a murderer. And Hugo goes, no, I didn't kill anybody. And Zapan cuts off the guy's head and goes, you just did. That's not how it works. That's not how framing people works in this apparently omnipotent society where you can immediately become – there's a bounty placed on your head psychically immediately. It did work, though. It did work, but that's not allowed. (laughs) You can't just go kill somebody and go, you did this and run away and have it work. I mean, you're not a registered hunter, gatherer, or whatever. So, I mean, it's hard to. And in fairness, I have never tried this, and so maybe I should. Yeah, yeah. Check back yeah. my next guest spot and find out if it worked. Yeah, that first bad review of your book, Ethan. <laughs> good, good thought. Um. <laughs> anyway, so Alita gives up on the motorball, and and we shouldn't gloss past the motorball sequence because it again completely it rocks works. every time that she is getting right. to show off her skills as a. A badass erm warrior it's amazing 
She starts as Neo at the end of the Matrix and just stays there for the entire movie, and that's awesome. And, and I love that um, they keep showing that uh, body mod has gotten crazier and crazier and crazier, yeah. and that people have gotten bigger and bigger weapons and, and mantis arms and all sorts of shit. Um, yeah. Cannons. Apparently, yeah, how, cannons yeah, how are, are these people leave, living their lives outside of, like... <laughs> motorball or like bounty like imagine like going back and relaxing to tv and you just have two axes <laughs> your hands it just feels very impractical honey can you make me an avocado toast <laughs> and then you i'll i'll cut the avocado house yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's all i can do um but the uh but the, the the interesting thing about this fight and the thing that I like a lot about this movie generally is that she doesn't have any real exterior weapons. She's just so fucking good as at, at a balletic fighter that she can work through the blades and around the blades and use your body force against you. And there's the, the thing that I love about this is that, like there's there's a lot of impact in the fights. Like I, I get a sense of momentum and then I get a sense of impact, a sense of momentum and a sense of impact. So like she'll tear off a guy's arm after doing an amazing spin kick move that I feel like she actually had to like build up speed to get there. She'll have his arm and then she'll use it to like chuck it through the air into someone's like head. And then as their body like flies backwards because it's it's perceived an impact, the sound effects just kick in like the, the action sequences in this are, are, are really spectacular yeah. in a way that I feel like a lot of these big budget blockbuster movies are afraid to be mean. Mm-hmm. Like, but there's moments where she, like, throws some guy's arm blade into his face really quickly <laughs> yeah. and then rolls along. And I'm like, yeah, that's what you should do. Yeah, this was, this, there's, there's a few moments in this movie that feels like it's very close to being rated R, and I'm sure they get away with it because it's like, well, technically they're cutting up robots, even if they're it's like pretty gruesome <laughs> deaths, even for robots. But then also there's a scene at the end, which we'll talk about here, that Jennifer Conley, the only way that people go up to Nova is like by being disassembled or taking the parts of them that matter. And Jennifer Conley got what he she was promised to get to go see Nova, and they took all her organs out of her body, and they show the scene of like the brain connected to the eyes and all these other things in jars. I don't know if you've ever seen RoboCop 2. I have not. But there is a scene in that movie where they show someone kind of disassembled. It's not in like separate jars like that. It's like as a a body with like the eyes and then the brain and the other stuff. And that is a, that is a, a scene that I saw well before I saw RoboCop 2 at like eight years old that has, I still like, had like had scared me for years and they basically do the same thing in like a PG-13 um, movie. So my daughter, as far as I know, has not been affected, but I was like, Jesus, that is some gruesome shit, even if it's brief. Yeah. Yeah. And the, so the idea is that Zalem is supposed to be this like heavenly upper city and the movie has been sort of teasing it as this sort of like, uh, hey, all the rich people live up there. We all live down here. And then what you eventually find out is, is that Zalam is a lie. And yeah, that it's just, it's just there, Nova, yeah. When you get up there, Nova is actually just recruiting. He's he's taking all your body parts for experiments, and he's using your sensory organs for some other weird mad science perspective. Yeah, yeah he's kind of like, I would say this universe is like an Elon Musk. You guys heard of that guy? I'd rather not have. <laughs> <laughs> this is i mean it does there like we don't have time to get into it but this very much has the like cap like anti-capitalist like this is literally trickle down economics where one rich guy is 
forcing everyone else and literally just dropping a shit that he's not using for everyone else to live as scraps. Like it's it's very clearly anti-capitalist, anti-Reaganomics type stuff. Yeah. <laughs> this movie has a real anti-Reagan bias. <laughs> hey, so do we. True. <laughs> Actually, I think that guy. No. Um, so Alita gets a phone call from Hugo in the middle of this saying, I'm in trouble. And she explodes out of the motorball court, bursts right through the screen. And the motorball announcer goes, this is fantastic. He's very excited about her Finally. running away. Yeah. Um, she has to kill the last two mini bosses of, from the motorball tournament. She uses uh, one guy's chains against him to pull him into a giant set of gears. That's cool. It's so fun that we all oh, liked this too. movie. It would be such yeah, a yeah. bummer if one of us thought this movie stunk. Yeah. <laughs> yes. This, <laughs> this is way more fun. Um, and then she, oh, right. Zalem. She, she is Zalem is there too. I met Zapan. There's a big confrontation with Hugo and Zapan. It turns out Hugo has a bounty on his head. She's very disappointed about this. Uh, so Zapan makes things easier for her by stabbing him in the tummy. And she goes, she goes into the church with Hugo to try and figure out a solution. And this is one of three or four times in the movie where Jennifer Connelly just happens to be prowling around. Yeah. Uh, and so she's, she's just everywhere with her doctor case. She's everywhere. She needs to be in many places. She doesn't. <laughs> and she shows Alita how to bypass her own life support system and plug it into Hugo's head. She goes out of the church and another thing happens that makes no sense. I love it. Where the Centaurians, these giant sort of robocopy, what's that? ED-209s. E, these giant ED-209s are stomping around, and she reveals that she has his head on life support. Because well, he basically calls the cops, which are just robots, to say, hey, if you don't kill Hugo, they're going to kill you for not following your requirement as a hunter uh, and so he basically calls the, I mean, what a fucking lame ass move. He calls the cops on her. <laughs> like, if you don't, if you don't be a cop, the cops will kill you. Um, but yeah, he, she shows that as we alluded to, she has cut off Hugo's head. But she is also connected to life support and they go, okay, well, you can just have that. You did your job. Go home with that still living head, which I'm sure you'll use for no purposes at all. Yeah. Again, especially in this universe. Yep, yeah, just things that don't make sense here. Just little corners to cut. Um, I think she should have like. I think she should have had uh, Waltz sew the head to her body and have like a little like Total Recall instead of like the full baby. You got a little Quanto head on onto the shoulder, <laughs> and know? it's it's a it's a Zephod Beeblebrocks Hitchhiker's Guide to yeah, the Galaxy I mean, situation. Yeah, there, a lot of options. A lot of options. Um, you could have had you could have had fun, uh, and then she does something else that you 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 would be surprised that the Centaurians were okay with, where she just cuts Zapan's whole face off <laughs> in a moment that again is well, no, cool. because he tries to take the head to prove, and they're like, "That's stealing a kill. That's illegal." So now he can be killed. Um, guys, uh, society without any sort of law and order, besides just random nonsense, is I, I, that's the part that I think would be bad. The city seems I, fine. I like okay, so I like that it's not an actual cop there; it's a robot because like she now knows enough of the law to be like, "He tried to steal my bounty." <laughs> Uh, I've got yep. the head here. I'm about to turn this, you know, and the bounty gets collected. They scan her. They scan the body. We see we see a head. It, it appears to be dead. Here you go. Uh, and then they're like, bounty's collected. Let, we're, we're not even worried about 
you know, Hugo anymore. We're moving on. Now you're trying to steal Hugo from him? <laughs> and then when he gets his face sliced off, this is so badass. So great. It, like, chops off a, 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 some of the flesh part. It's t- yeah, it's top see, down. Yeah. You can see his tongue and his eyes on the inside still. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I, it's a very gruesome movie for PG thirteen. It's so good. I love, I love that. And then he's, and then he's, he doesn't actually die. He's just like, you fucked up my face. That was the one thing I. I oh liked. no! Doesn't doesn't he die? Because then she slices him again. I thought. Uh, no, I think he. I, I think he's just like, oh, I, my face. What do I do with my face? And then she steals his sword. I believe that is how it works. I believe. So she goes home with Hugo's head. Yeah, she goes home with Hugo's head. Christoph Waltz puts it on a robo body. He wakes up and goes, "Well, terrific! I'm going to Zalem." And they say, "No, no, no! You have." It turns out that Zalem is, as you said, all a lie. And Vector, who has been promising this whole time he can send people to Zalem, in fact, cannot do this. He is a con artist of the highest degree. That Nova can take control of because his eyes have been turning blue, and I actually even having seen it twice i forgot why i'm like wasn't his eyes blue a few moments ago and then it kind of reveals when his eyes are blue nova is controlling them right um and he doesn't like it one bit no so alita and hugo go for a big confrontation with him she uh oh and gruishka is there again (laughs) she chops him right down in half just chopping people in half left and right now she's got the sword and the armor he's right um and then things it things just get kind of mishmashy at this point for me because I'm just exhausted and overstimulated after almost two hours. Uh, but yes, it, as we said, Vector is a con artist. He has chopped up all of taken out Jennifer Conley's organs. We talked about that part. Um, and Hugo goes to try and climb a tube to Zalem. Yeah, uh, bad idea to, to keep to keep. To keep Alita safe in a scene that makes no goddamn like it makes I'm fine was, I'm fine because he like, dies. I was promised this. Yeah, he, I thought he was like I was promised. This. He's just like, got the Zalem madness. No, at he this says point. he says I have a bounty on my head. I can't be alive. You won't be as safe. Like that's what he says. Like he says that you won't be safe as long as I'm down there. Well, fair enough. Um, I mean, and again, this is a little I mean, bit it's a classic Hugo move. <laughs> it's a little bit of a mishmash again of the of the adaptation where in the book, he is not a noble or heroic character. He just fully sucks. And she just imprints on him early on for unclear reasons. And he never really reciprocates her affection. He's just he interesting at this point. He has just gone Zalem mad in the in the book and is has lost his humanity and is just climbing up going i'm gonna get there in the movie nova sends down an armored uh blade ring to chop him up in the book this just happens every so often to chop up rats and he's just unlucky (laughs) and in i mean okay so that that makes sense though because like I I was like this big ring thing. Wouldn't people know because so many people are bio like body modded. Like wouldn't so many people know like no you can't climb up the thing because they send the ring down. We we watch we get rained rat blood on us every day. Indeed. Yeah, I mean I think I think they know about the ring. <laughs> well, well, Hugo does. A dumb idiot. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, Hugo tries to jump. He doesn't have the. He doesn't. He doesn't have good dexterity. He gets. He gets all sliced up. And Alita tries to grab him by the hand. She succeeds in doing so, 
And she says, I'm going to pull you up. But his silly little cyborg body falls all apart and he tumbles down, down, down to the trash lands where he could presumably be rescued again because it worked for her, but it's not going to work for him. No, because his head's going to pop. Mmm, like a watermelon. Yeah, his head doesn't have a robot head. That's just going to... Oh, good point. Right when it hits. Yeah. Yeah, picture his head as a watermelon. I think it's a good analogy. And then, like, Earth as Gallagher's hammers. Ah. And I think you get a really good sense of what's about to happen to him. Gallagher's... Would, they didn't show that part. It's Gallagher's classic bit where he throws the watermelon up and holds out a hammer. Well, I'm, I'm asking you to... to connect some dots i can't so it's not a perfect one-to-one yeah. analogy but it's okay we can move on yeah so imagine in this instance uh gallagher <laughs> yeah. as the mighty thor <laughs> yeah thank you yeah use it use it use it as is he not now, he's on mount olympus all right yeah. so <laughs> in the beginning um in the beginning. there was gallagher so, yeah so but basically like he dies and they i love it i love the ending because they flash forward like she's just become a motorball champion and every night when she went right before she she competes, she fucking holds up her sword towards Nova. Be like, I'm going to fucking kill you someday. And then Nova takes off his glasses and said, well, Norton being like, come get me. And that's and Which then, is cool that's a, because yeah. it's not one of those movies where it's like her threatening Nova has any. It's just between the two of them. Yeah. It's between the two of them. And also, if, if Nova, Nova could be sending assassins every day after the match, during the match, before the match, it doesn't matter because she's such a fucking badass and now she's got a cool ass sword that, like, she could be killing assassins every morning for breakfast from Nova. Doesn't matter. Like, she's, she's like, coming yeah. for him, but she's going for him through the correct channels, which is becoming the ultimate champion or whatever of the yeah. motorball games. Yeah. And it's a great it's a great setup because like it's one of those things where like you're like I'm glad that we have two really rad motorball matches and in the sequel theoretically we could have that be yeah. like the anchor point to like remind people of what happened in the last movie like here or her also it feels like, like she can go up there whenever because she jumped over the blade at the end of this movie so theoretically it's not it's not going to be challenged like once she I understand she wants to win a few motorball matches before she brings down society but um yeah for what it is even as it exists there but um yeah I think she got it figured out but it, the idea is he's like if you just like come up here without uh like if you come up here illegitimately uh I will kill your family yeah that's I mean that's kind of thing I'll leave you alone you can exist I'm just going to watch you from above. And she's almost sort of mocking him by saying, like, well, I'm coming for you because this is this is what everyone says. This is the only way to get to Zalem. Here is my book club discussion question for you guys. Something that I, I had always heard was the knock against this movie is that it is it is not a whole movie. It is just an entire movie set up for a sequel and it isn't satisfying. I find that an unfair thing to say about this movie, which I do yeah, think yeah. tells a perfectly functional story with a, just a couple of teases of a big bad. And I, yeah. I guess that's frustrating, but I just, it's, that is a confusing characterization of this for me. How about you? I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that's ridiculous. And I also think it's ridiculous, like in, in, in a vacuum, right? Like when star Wars came out in 1997, um, when it, really when it, when what happened? <laughs> Well, it came out in nineteen ninety seven. That is accurate, but I meant to say seventy seven. <laughs> but what I ninety seven was also accurate, Ethan. Good point. Came right to theaters. Yes, um, and I was there uh, with bells on. Me, me too. Oh, what a great day. Um. So the um, 
The thing is, is like that's that is a movie that had no guarantees a sequel, even though George Lucas had a big plan for, you know, nine movies or whatever. The movie ends with. So having, he says a lot, a lot. He says a lot. That's, of a, things. that's a much larger conversation. <laughs> oh, it's based on Flash Gordon. It's based on this. It's based but on like that. Darth Vader survives, on, right? It's based like, on Dune. It's based on this. Like Darth, they blow up the Death Star, but the main villain, the main antagonist survives. They give everyone a medal and they move on with their lives. If that was the end. Like. No one thinks about that in a vacuum because it had sequels that kind of resolve what happened with Vader and everything else. But, like, this tells a complete story. There's losses. There's a main villain that gets overcome. There's things that happen. At the end, there's another person that, like, everything is not resolved. Like, it's okay, especially when you're adapting a nine-volume manga series to not – to tell – uh, this would be great as a trilogy. We're going to do the first movie where that gets frustrating. I think is if the first movie doesn't tell a satisfying story in and of itself. And I think this does, it doesn't resolve everything, but it does, you know, Alita is a, has a life afterwards. A villain has been defeated. There's, there's been losses along the way, like Jesus Christ movie going public. What else do you want from a movie? <laughs> Well, it just seemingly bothered people that we didn't know more about Nova and fair enough. Yeah, but yeah, but like the the point is that the the movie solves the immediate concerns that the movie sets out to solve. Right. Yeah. Um, Who is who is Alita? What are her capabilities? Like, what's this? What's what are these serial killers going on? What's this deal with motorball? Like. What's what's the deal with her dad? Like, what's the deal with these bounty hunters? Like, everything that it talks about in the first act, basically, it finds some sort of um, satisfying plot resolution for, um, and usually through action, right? Like through a character, a character's dying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I I don't think that that's fair to hold against the movie, uh, frankly. Um, I think that when you're doing the first uh, part, the first third, the first fourth, whatever, uh, of a a long franchise, it's kind of unfair to throw that at this movie just because the franchise entry didn't happen immediately. Considering we live in a world that is now fueled constantly, constantly by um, block conclusions, but like, don't worry, wait for after the credits. There's going to yeah. be more coming next summer. Um, we're, we're in a world that just exists in that, that state of perpetuum. And I I don't like that world very much. I much prefer this world where I'm like, all, the, ne- the next movie is presumably going to go get that guy. We're going to go see Zalem. We're going to go see all that stuff. But that's all kind of like third act concerns. The movie satisfies everything that it sets out to do in the first first act and maybe the second act. I will agree with yeah. Peter. I also do not like the world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I don't really have any other final thoughts. I'm so glad we got to end with something that we all end up enjoying. Ethan, I'm glad you and Peter both ended up enjoying this movie because I, I you know, the these kind of like movies are so fun to talk about because they do feel like a grab bag like even mortal engines even though i thought for a year we were covering a a totally different mortal movie (laughs) with by the way the same male love interest uh which we discussed a little bit which is very (laughs) odd um you have a key key male love interest in common (laughs) um but like they i think all of them have their defenders or have their fans or have their you know whatever else and but it it feels it feels like both this and valerian as we kind of also wrap up the month are like the fact that everyone like 
Peter, you had never seen either of these before. You ended up liking them. I liked both of them when they came out. Revisiting, I found even more to like about them. And Ethan, you joined us for this last one. Said, hey, this movie's great. Like, it feels like we have really found some movies that could still, 10 years later, be forgotten in this milieu of blockbuster movies. And I hope that if you're listening to this podcast and you did miss out on Valerian or you did miss out on Alita Battle Angel, that like these are worth revisiting. They're easy to watch. They're on this one's on Hulu. Like they um you know they are really great, I think big budget special effects blockbuster movies that work as their own contained story, even if they didn't get the franchise that both the source material and the people making it wanted them to have at least yet. But they're they're great. And they, you know, again, not everything needs to be part of a larger arc. And I also think, like, why these movies are more successful is this. They weren't, they weren't trying to be part of a cinematic universe. They were trying to do the old-fashioned thing of do a movie you know, start a franchise, which is what, you know, happened in the 80s and 90s too, sometimes successfully, sometimes not successfully. And so it knew to tell a complete story as opposed to set up all the different things that could be coming later. And it's, you know, this movie and Valerian are very successful in that. And they're funny shit to watch too. So, yeah. Check them out. Yeah. I, I have like very limited final thoughts here. We kind of talked about it as we went. Um, the only, the only time that I didn't like the movie was when it like didn't feel true to itself. And what I mean, what I mean by that is like, I'm not mad. I'm just movie- disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean by that is that when the movie did not seem to embrace what it actually was, what the vision that Robert Rodriguez and James Cameron kind of cobbled together actually was, and it and it was seems to be influenced by outside outside sort of expectations, right? So, um, one sequence is the right after she gets uh, Alita gets her uh, Erm body. Um, she's like having a conversation with Hugo, and she says, "Like, you know, does it freak you out that I'm, you know, I'm not all human?" Um, and he says, "You're the most human person I know." And I'm like. That's a line from a different movie, motherfucker. Yeah. Like, at yeah, some point... I, I, I didn't get to that. I had that line called out as, like, the one, like... I mean, it, it helps that Hugo sucks. Yeah, it's it's to true to Hugo sucks. being the worst. Yeah. <laughs> but my point is that, like, when the movie pretends to be more dystopic than it is, or the movie pretends to be a story questioning what humanity is and what is what is her true human nature... Um, it sort of falls a little bit of flat, but when the movie is just embracing what it actually is, which is like a movie about a very fun sort of fish out of water character realizing her own power in a world that could be made great. She just needs to take out some bullies and take out some obstacles. It's it's so much fun. Like, I like the movie now more having talked about it with, with you guys, which is always the best output of one of these episodes. <laughs> um, sometimes it comes out the opposite direction where I was like, Okay, Aaron, I'll mark it down half a star or like whatever. Aaron, I think you've done the same thing in the past. Where you're like, I like it a little bit less after we yeah. talked about it. Um, this is an example of me liking it more after we talked about it because I'm realizing all the things that it didn't do and all the things that it actually did, which is sometimes hard in a vacuum, right? Yeah. Ethan, any other final thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I was I was 
sort of trying to, I went into this movie fairly primed not to like it. I didn't think I was going to like this and I was won over so quickly and you hate us. I hate you guys and I want you to do a bad show. Um, I want to come in with lousy energy as much as possible. Um, no, I mean, I, I was trying to figure out what is it that did win me over here. And I think it's the fact that this is just a deeply, deeply earnest and fairly sweet movie that has a lot of, I don't know, it's it's just <laughs> this movie about a crazy battle angel is just, it's a nice movie. Um, it's a nice movie. I think Rodriguez, nice yeah, I think Rodriguez just seems to me to have a, as I said earlier, a, a fairly good attitude and a fairly sort of deep spiritual belief in the, the goodness of, of good storytelling. Um, even when his movies are crazy and violent and, and weirdo and nutso. Um, I don't know. Sin City is one of the most bleak and cynical movies there could possibly be, but he just has a has a. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm not a Rodriguez Robert Rodriguez tourist, and I'm awfully tired at this point. This movie has a has <laughs> a deep earnestness and a lack of cynicism and a lack of irony that I find incredibly endearing, and I think that's what it comes down to for me. Uh, three stars probably on the merits. Five stars on I had a good time. Averages out to four. Yeah, I actually yeah. like really, really quickly, just like a 10 second point on that thought. You're on the I've clock. I'm thinking about uh, Sin City. I've been thinking about Sin City a little bit. No, we don't have time for Sin City. No, we always do. What we always doing? do. I want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Um, was that, uh, well, I, I quite like Sin City as an adaptation uh, and somebody who read the book first and then watched the movie and, and, and was like obsessed with it for a period of time. And I still quite like it. Um is that one of the things that Rob Rodriguez does that's almost like against the, the the material is that he ultimately believes that Marv is like a redeemable guy and that like Marv's journey journey is like worth going on. Whereas when you read the book, it feels like a sick joke that Marv even tried to make the world a better place, which is part of the fun of how like bleak he's like, let's take noir, but like double noir <laughs> um, of the Frank Miller books. This was like, let's take noir, but like, I still want to have a heart in it because there's a reason I'm making this. Um, and then the next movie was that he only was partially involved in was just this nihilist, shitty, heartless fest of, of, of grief. Um, and I hated it. Um, what are you but, talking about a dame to kill? That Why was he only yeah. he directed it? Co-directed it with Frank Miller, and it sounds like the only other thing I was going to note that's bizarre about Rob. So the last thing he did is he made a movie called "We Can Be Heroes" for Netflix in 2020. And I just need to read this to you. Right. Um, I've not not seen it. it. Says though it features the character Shark Boy and Lava Girl, it is not a sequel to his 2005 film, <laughs> "The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl." <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it. It is another adventure of Shark Boy and Lava Girl, but so, not a sequel. Yeah, if you didn't know, he already rebooted his Shark Boy and Lava. Oh, I was well Girl aware of this. Oh, so amazing! All right, yeah, Ethan. Where should people find you? Besides, uh, we'll put a link to pre-order the book in the podcast. Thank you um, so I, much. I'm going to be using it myself. Yes. Um, anything else that you want to plug or to send people to? Well, geez, um, I am just sort of a, a freelancer about town at this point. I uh, parted ways with Brightwall Darkroom, my home of six years uh, recently, but I have lots and lots of backed up backlogged uh, essays over there, um, a place that is incredibly near and dear to my heart. And to promote the book, I am going to be doing a podcast miniseries on Paul, Paul Thomas Anderson called Pod Thomas Anderson with uh, the name. One Heat Minute Network. 
And so you'll be able to find that uh, in April under the One Heat Minute feed and will feature guest appearances by two very good boys on this Zoom with me right now. Thank you. So check that out and it's going to be fun. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have a blast. Uh, yeah, uh, so next month, we're doing a Star Trek month. We've been hankering to get back into Star Trek. Um, even though we released a bunch of episodes last year, fun fact, we recorded those two years before we released them, so we have not really watched any Star Trek, at least officially for the show, for about three years now, Peter, if you can believe it. Uh, so we're gonna be doing, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap up The Next Generation. We're gonna do Star Trek Nemesis, which is a terrible movie. We're gonna pair it with a few episodes. Uh, you'll see those in the notes. I, I forget what I was going to do now. And then we're going to do a run through actually the best part of the next generation, which is um, a bunch of great episodes of the show that I'm going to make Peter watch. Uh, and yeah, we, we, we said this year we're going to try to do a few through uh, ebbs and flows between movies and actually getting to some of these sidecasts that we like doing a little more of, not just when we have time to record double episodes in a week, which is getting less frequent for both of us. So we're doing a Star Trek month to bring it close to Next Generation before we go back to some movie months uh, or more officially we love to watch movie months in April and May. So stay tuned for that or skip it completely, I guess, if you don't like Star Trek. The next generation specifically. Uh, and with that, good night. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) 